You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 527. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 2C at the Doubletree in Madison, Wisconsin. Today's show is recorded on the 28th of June, Episode and Alitalia Airbus flies from JFK to Rome despite an Air France crew saying they had had a ground collision. An Air Marshal aboard a Jordanian charter flight pulls his gun on passengers who allegedly tried to get into the cockpit. More news and your feedback, so get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger. Flight 527 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City! Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA, and joining us again from the other side of the pond... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340, captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Well, hi there, Jeff. And uh, hi, Liz. Uh, nice to be back after my short sabbatical. Uh, it was a um, pleasure having a week off. Looking forward to a good show, though. Yeah, we're looking forward to it as well. Great to have you back, Nick. And also joining us, our special guest, uh, he is the Director of Marketing and Special Projects at Pilot Edge. It's Kevin from Pilot Edge. Say hello, Kevin. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Really a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you with us. And also joining us from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer-director, it's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. Looking forward to an interesting show. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. Well, they're always interesting, aren't they? In always. a in a not a positive way, but oh. it's like a train wreck. <laughs> People like to come and watch the uh, you know do the rubbernecking thing, and uh, you know they're going to say, "Oh, that's horrible," but you know deep inside, I think they really get a lot of joy from it. Uh, yeah, so a lot of Schadenfreude flying around out there. Jeff. A lot of Schadenfreude for sure. Okay, Liz, thanks. All right. Uh, so I mentioned uh, we have a special guest with us today. His name, Kevin, from Pilot Edge. And his uh, organization is uh, does something, I don't know for how long he's going to tell us here uh, in just a moment, uh, how long they've been doing this uh, pro- special project, and it's called Sim Venture. Now, you know, we have the EAA Air Venture coming up here uh, in what, a, just under a month or right about a month from now? And uh, part uh, the people that come in and participate and fly in uh, do uh, a special 
arrival procedure, and I think they call it the FISC arrival. Is that right, Kevin? That's correct, yes. And I think this is so cool what you're doing with uh, your – first of all, you can tell us about what Pilot Edge is and then what the sim venture, uh, the special thing that you're doing with Pilot Edge and how it's going to help GA pilots out there who are – Thinking about well, I guess they don't even have to go in in real life, do they? But they can participate right, in this. And what's okay? I'm going to stop talking and let you tell us about <laughs> what what it is that uh, you got going on. No, it's a great intro. Thanks, Jeff. Um, yeah. So for those who are unfamiliar with Pilot Edge, Pilot Edge has been around for ten years, and uh, it's a service for flight simulators, mainly home flight simulators, but it actually works with commercial uh, sims as well, whether it's at a flight school or an airline or you name it, and. The whole premise behind the service is that it uh, flight simulators have always kind of lacked an air traffic control element. Uh, the companies who make the sims, whether it be Microsoft or Laminar Research, um, they've done it, they've done as well as they can with doing a text-based sort of ATC style, where um, the computer will spit out kind of the transmission, and then you use a key on your keyboard to respond with a bank of different responses that you might say, whether it's say again or or you know copy, acknowledge, whatever. Um, well, so Pilot Edge then uh, kind of saw the uh, saw the lack of air traffic control for flight simulators. And for those who maybe don't have a sim or aren't necessarily familiar with simming, um, we're not necessarily talking about gaming here. We're we're using simulators as a as a true training tool. Um, if you think of a home flight simulator, you might think of someone just doing barrel rolls, and that's really not the case in at least our uh, part of the industry. Um, there's certainly plenty of of people out there who, who enjoy that, and that's fine. That's their entertainment. But we really take things on from a, a technical training perspective in a way that pilots can stay proficient and even kind of train, obviously unofficially, um, from, from their living rooms. And uh, this can save them a ton of money and a ton of time in their actual flight training or even just their actual uh, proficiency. So Pilot Edge um, takes the, the problem of no air traffic control in, in simulators and actually solves it by adding live real-time air traffic control to your flight simulator. So what does that mean? How does that work? Well, Pilot Edge has a staff of controllers who work, they're real people. They work on their side of the, of the network, on their side of the, of the uh, server, essentially, which is on their computer. And they're looking at a radar screen just like a real controller would. And when you, as a home user, uh, plug, um, connect your flight simulator to the network, it then appears in Pilot Edge's own virtual world. So not only can you then see someone else who's also connected to the network? Again, it's a big one virtual world, but then you're also going to be connected with the Pilot Edge air traffic controller. So you can now tune the actual frequencies. You hit your push to talk. You are then talking on the radio through Pilot Edge's system uh, to uh, a controller. So you're no longer just you know loading up on the runway and throttling up and going in your flight simulator. It's more so a you load up on the ramp. You would call ground, call clearance, whatever it might be, and get your taxi instructions from there. It's it's really as real as it gets. If you're kind of struggling to to follow along there, it's you know flight simulator at home and add as real ATC as you can imagine, and that's what it is. So then, that's everyday pilotage that's been going on for ten years, um, and and that's it's a subscription based uh, company. You can for twenty dollars a month, you can have it with your home flight simulator, whether it's Microsoft Flights in twenty twenty, X Plane eleven, Lockheed Martin's prepared. Um, you name it, or again, the, the commercial sims as well. So the infrastructure was there. Um, and back in 2020, this is actually pre-pandemic, uh, I kind of had the idea. I've always been a big fan of, of AirVenture, like Jeff was mentioning and, and kind of prefacing before. AirVenture EAA is the big fly-in in Oshkosh, Wisconsin every July. And 
So I've always been a big fan. I, I went to the owner of, of Pilot Edge founder and CEO, Keith Smith, and I said, hey, you know, I think we have the potential here to do um, an Oshkosh event. And, you know, we have the infrastructure, we have the talent, we have the resources. And um, again, pre-pandemic, and then the pandemic hit. And um, it wasn't uh, wasn't long after that, that EAA said, hey, AirVenture 2020 is canceled. And obviously a big blow to the aviation community that was already bleeding um, with the, you know, with the industry and the, the economy. And, you know, everyone just kind of wanted someplace they could hang out outside um, in July in 2020. But EAA said, no, we can't do that. So it was at that point that we said, man, we we really have to bring this um, alive and, and make this happen. So we got together with EAA that year. And most importantly, we got together with NACA. NACA is the National Air Traffic Controller Association. Um, it's the union for um, for air traffic controllers. And we said, hey, we want to do this uh, virtual Oshkosh. Do you have people who you'd be willing to put us in touch with who uh, actually control Oshkosh at the Real Air Venture? And they said, yes, we do. And so uh, we got together with a, a decent sized team of those individuals who uh, were supposed to actually go and work Air Venture that year. They were actually very um, crushed. For those who are unfamiliar, it's not just the standard Oshkosh Tower people that work Air Venture every year. Um, if you fly into Oshkosh Airport 51 weeks out of the year, it's actually a contract tower. They're not actually FAA controllers up there. But then for that one week out of the year for Air Venture Week, um, it's actually volunteer based. It's a bidding system, and people, the uh, the FAA controllers and ACA controllers, use their own time off to go and volunteer to work air venture. That's how much they love it. And that's how much that uh, it, it means to them to do that. And so uh, naturally when everyone was locked up in their homes for all of summer 2020, they wanted something to do and we we afforded them that. And um, so they were able to come on and they worked our virtual Oshkosh. We gave users at home the ability to fly into Oshkosh um, because they couldn't for real. And it was, it was a fun kind of nostalgic event. It was great. Uh, we had a lot of fun. We had over 1100 landings throughout the four days. Um, so it was a, a huge success. And then anyways, fast forward to 2021, um, you know, everyone was saying, you guys can do it again, you can do it again. And we, we said, yes. And this time we're gonna make it more of a kind of a training approach where we're going to teach people or not teach people, but we're gonna give people the opportunity to um, practice their flight into AirVenture beforehand. Like Jeff said, uh, AirVenture is a very unique uh, procedure with it's called the Fisk arrival. There's a little town of Fisk that's about 10 miles west of Oshkosh Airport, and that's the primary arrival. If you're flying any sort of small piston in there, um, you're going to come over the Fisk arrival, which involves following some railroad tracks, um, half mile and trail of airplanes in front of you. It's all very, very tight spacing, um, very fast paced ATC. So for someone who's a newcomer to AirVenture, or even someone who just, well, I'll start with the newcomers. For someone who's a newcomer to AirVenture, it could be a little bit daunting to um, see these procedures and, and think, man, you know, I've never done anything like this, especially the caliber of, of pilot you get at AirVenture. It's EAA, it's Experimental Aircraft Association. A lot of these people, um, and it's no problem, but a lot of these people maybe live kind of out uh, in the outskirts of, of big cities. They might just fly out of non-towered airports. So their air traffic control interaction might be very minimal as far as their normal everyday flying. And now all of a sudden you're putting them into some of the most complex and congested airspace in the world for this one week a year, um, which can be a little bit, you know, it can be intimidating. So what we do 
Um, and what we did last year, and what we're going to do again this year, um, is provide people a way to practice their arrival ahead of time into Oshkosh on their flight simulator using the actual controllers. The actual controllers are going to be there the next, the week after SimVenture. SimVenture is July 14th through 17th, and AirVenture begins, I think, the 23rd or 24th. So it's about you know five, uh, seven to ten days between SimVenture and AirVenture, and so we're going to have those actual controllers who are going to be working the traffic. Uh, the flight simulator traffic, I should say, as it comes down the tracks. And um, you're going to be rocking your wings. For those who are unfamiliar, that's a big kind of part of, of AirVenture. You don't really talk to ATC. You rock your wings to acknowledge the transmissions. That way, ATC can keep the mic, uh, the push to talk, pushed down the whole time. They don't have to wait for uh, readbacks. So it's really unique, really unique procedures. So whether you're a first-timer or whether you're a seasoned veteran flying into AirVenture, um, even if you're a veteran, you've only you likely only do this procedure once a year, and I think that you could probably anyone could benefit from from a little bit of proficiency and a little bit of practice ahead of time. And that's our goal. And that's our mission is to allow people to practice ahead of time, whether you're a rookie or a veteran, and it, it all make air ventures just a safer experience for everybody, for you, people on the ground, other airplanes, you name it. Um, and then, of course, like like Jeff kind of mentioned, the byproduct of that is that if you aren't flying to AirVenture, maybe you're not even a pilot, maybe you're just a flight simulator enthusiast, whatever it might be, wherever you are in the world, you can still join in for SimVenture just for an entertainment value and get an idea of how it would feel to actually fly into Oshkosh with hundreds and hundreds of airplanes around you with ATC talking a mile a minute. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Is it possible to see like be a complete bystander and watch some other person participating and sort of, yeah. um, the, we don't necessarily have an official way to do that, but naturally, um, Twitch TV, which is a, a streaming platform for gamers. Uh, a lot of people, use, I shouldn't say a lot, but some people use that to stream their flight simulator flights uh -huh. as well. So, um, July 14th through 17th, if you go to Twitch TV or twitch.tv, I should say, and you just type in pilot edge or sim venture, you're likely to find several people who are streaming it um, at the time. And uh, if not, it'll be on YouTube as well. You can even find YouTube videos now from the past two years, SimVentures. If you just type in SimVenture, you'll you'll see things come right up. That would be really cool, especially for a lot of the folks listening to our show who aren't pilots or who are and have wondered about what the experience is really like going into into Oshkosh uh, during the uh, air venture. Um, I, I did have I did look at some of the uh, videos you have on YouTube, uh, mm -hmm. Pilot Edge videos, and uh, very very I, I love the concept and how you're in you know training people and informing people of you know certain procedures and that kind of thing. I'm wondering, do you ever uh, have any uh, controllers from, uh, let's say, John F. Kennedy International, uh, the New York City area, and and uh, like and interact with them because uh, we uh, one of our actually one of our co-hosts, Captain Nick, was wondering: Is it possible for uh, somebody participating in the sim on Pilot Edge interacting with John F. Kennedy International controllers to be um, to be offended, uh, just like in real life? <laughs> um, so we none of our uh, sim venture controllers are from the New York area. At least you oh. wouldn't know it from their voice, and I don't <laughs> think that I don't think that uh, just just out of the the ones I'm trying to rack my brain. Um, you know, typically air venture controllers come from your smaller level towers. That's not a that's not to say you can't get a big class Bravo. I know of two air uh, controllers from DFW who do air venture. Um, so that's not to say that it has to be a small level tower, but uh, typically that's kind of where where the controllers tend to tend to come from. 
Um, so no, I don't know of any from JFK. As far as getting offended, um, you know, it's it's uh, the controllers do a great job of handling everything. Back in 2020, I, I kind of warned them. I said, guys, you know, this is the first time we're doing this. I don't know. And by the way, um, for those listening, there's a uh, when you're actually flying in their adventure, you use something that previously called a notum is now known as a notice this year. EA has changed it from a notum to now a notice. Um, and so when you're flying in, you have this big booklet, it's about 25, 30 pages. Um, then you can have it on your iPad or print out whatever you want, but that's the whole procedure that tells you everything you need to know about flying into air venture. Well, we create our own version of the notice that pretty much mirrors the real one. The only difference is that there are some simulator set up things in there, um, a few simulator specific things, but the procedures are 99% accurate. And there's even a page on there, um, that outlines the few differences so that if you, if you are planning to fly to your venture, you know, ahead of time, okay, you know, here are the differences. Um, so you're not, you know, you're, there's no negative training there. And, and the differences are very minor. It's things like you have to set your simulator to clear skies in a million um, with no wind because everyone kind of has to be on a level playing field. If we had one person with a tailwind, one person with a headwind, right. unfortunately that's a simulator thing that, that would screw things up. But right. um, so uh, anyways, we, yeah, we have the notice that, that people have to follow. Um, and so in 2020, I, I kind of warned the controllers. I said, Hey, you know, we don't know how this is going to go. Um, we've, we put out at the time called Notum. We put out the Notum. Um, we hope people follow it. And they all, they all individually had this talk with all of them and they all had pretty much the same answer, which they just kind of laughed. And they said, we, we are so prepared for that. They basically, they're saying, they get so many airplanes out of the 10,000 airplanes that arrive in the week. So many of them are doing things wrong. They are not on the right frequency. So they're not rocking their wings. Um, these controllers are so used to things going wrong that they just plan around it. And so, you know, if you're, if you're chucking down the railroad tracks and you're on the wrong frequency and the controller's trying to call out to you and you're not rocking your wings, they're just going to, you know, they'll treat you as a, as a Nordo, as it's called no radio. And um, they'll just work the airplanes around you and they'll just assume that you're going to head to the airport, you're going to land and they're going to separate the airplanes around you. So anyways, that was very assuring that the controllers were ready for that. And I was even I was so pleased, though, I must say the compliance with the procedures from the pilots in SimVenture was astronomically great. Um, I was very impressed the first year and equally impressed the second year. I expect the same to happen this year as well. Uh, so this will be the third year. I, I, I know I, I, you asked that kind of at the, the front and I, mm -hmm. I'm finally answering that. Um, but yeah, third year we're doing this. And uh, so the, the, but the controllers are, are very well uh, prepared for people to do things wrong and then they'll, they'll just adjust. They're professionals. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. Excellent. Uh, so one of our uh, community members, Hillel, uh, who is also in our live chat room, but beforehand I mentioned to him that we were going to have you on the show today and perhaps he might have some questions for you. That's and I'm sure we're going to have some from uh, the live audience as well. Sure. Um, and some of them are actually serious questions. Um, but <laughs> let's start with Hillel. Uh, he said, the Fisk arrival now has uh, new waypoints to elongate the arrival queue as needed. When is it Ripon? gets saturated can a pilot simulate the approach from any of these waypoints as well as ripon in itself is that am i pronouncing that right is it's it ripon ripon yeah ripon okay. um it's a great question uh yeah so that was actually one of the things that we had to adjust from 2020 to 2021 um we in 2020 we wrote the procedures based off the 2019 notum so we had at the time obviously 2020 didn't happen for as a real event in air venture 
then 2021 is when, uh, just like he mentioned, yes, they added, uh, they being EAA and the FAA added three transition points to the arrival. Basically what this means, so there is a point, like you said, Ripon, it's about 15 to 20 miles southwest of Oshkosh. Um, and prior to 2021, uh, every airplane just headed to Ripon. And so basically you would get I mean, it was just a disaster over Ripon. Um, and, and furthermore, it was kind of became a disaster between Ripon and then the next waypoint, which is Fisk, which is where the controllers actually start picking you up. Um, it was a free-for-all. I mean, so imagine, just, just imagine 20 airplanes, all equally spaced, say 15 miles from this Ripon point, coming in all separate directions and heading straight for the same point. No one's talking ATC because there is no flight following out there. Um, it's everyone's just monitoring the FISC approach frequency. So it was, it was getting to be unmanageable. So they had a great idea and honestly, it's worked great. It worked great for SimVenture. Um, I've talked to the controllers, it works great for them where they moved out these points. So there's now Green Lake, which is point, uh, number one, they, they will still use Ripon in times of, of low traffic volume, but they have Green Lake, they have Pacaway Lake, and then they have the Endeavor Bridge or the city of Endeavor, which is the farthest one and which endeavors about 50 miles west of Oshkosh. So, uh, but they certainly use it. And um, so to answer the question, you know, can a pilot practice these? We simulate just how they would in, the, in an actual air venture. If it's busy, you're going out to Puckaway or Endeavor. If it, you know, times get uh, a little more dead, we'll move it out to Green Lake and maybe even Ripon. So you actually have to tune the ATIS ahead of time and hear what um, what's in use and then and this will make sense to to um, the the person who posed the question is, and anyone else listening who's familiar. Um, you you get the ATIS and then you switch over to Fisk Approach and you just hear and, and you make sure that that's still what's in use. So Fisk Approach will just kind of constantly broadcast you know all aircraft inbound Oshkosh. We're using the Green Lake transition and that's when you will head for Green Lake. And then if it gets busy, they'll push it out and say, okay, now we need everyone. If you're not at Green Lake already, we need you to go to Puckaway Lake. And because thanks to ADSB, they actually have a pretty good um, look now at how things are looking um, far out there. You know, before ADSB, they really had no way to do that uh, because there was no radar site there on the ground at Fisk. Okay, excellent. Uh, one of our audience members, he calls himself I Hall Boxes. He's a freight dog, I believe. <laughs> Wonder what he does. Yeah, uh, he says, "Do all sim platforms have a nav database that reflects these new points?" And he says he has no idea how that works. And he says, "Just assuming that if the sim is X years old, the nav data will be too." It's a great question. Um, so several, there are actually several answers to that. Um, Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 is the newest of the flight simulators. Um, they also do uh, free updates of AirX. Um, they don't hit every month, but they'll hit maybe every second or third month. So yes, that one is definitely updated. X-Plane 11 does not have the VFR waypoints in there. So you're not gonna see VP RIP, VP uh, uh, PLK, VP GRN for Green Lake. Um, however, there's a company out there called Navigraph, which you can pay anywhere between 25 and 70 bucks, um, to get, uh, fully updated, um, uh, uh, nav, uh, nav data. So I think it's like, uh, you can pay like 25 bucks for one, or you can pay like, or actually no, it's only like 25 bucks for a year. It's not, it's not expensive at all. Um, and you get fully updated nav data for your airplane. Now, we do also support FSX, which is about a 17-year-old simulator now. Microsoft Flight Simulator X is what that was. Um, that one does not have those new waypoints, and I don't think there's a way to get it, those in there. However, you don't really, you're not really supposed to use the waypoints to navigate. It's all a visual procedure. The waypoints do exist for 
um, reference and just points of reference. But ideally, you're navigating with your eyeballs. And these lakes are very easy to see. Um, and then the railroad tracks are very easy to pick up as well. So even if you don't have these, um, we do produce, uh, we being Pilot Edge do produce scenery, custom scenery, which is free to all participants of SimVenture. And you, you actually have to have that scenery. It's required because it has some of these landmarks and it does a great job of modeling um, the uh, Oshkosh Airport in, I call it kind of like show show mode, you know, with all the tents, all the static airplanes. It's really, and of course, the dots and squares on the runway. For those who aren't familiar, the runways have dots and squares on them. They are aiming points. That way, uh, the controllers can land two or even three airplanes on the same runway at the same time. Very cool. Yeah, so that makes sense. You know, you want the pilot's eyeballs to be outside and not looking at it. Exactly. And looking display. for traffic, too. Yeah, right. Right. Okay, well, great. Great answer. Um Okay, and in fact, that was one of Hillel's questions was regarding the uh, the spots, the the, the uh, colored dots yep. on the runway. So uh, yeah, we, we we use them. It's all in the scenery, and it's uh, yeah, we we make this as as realistic as we can. So you'll get clear to land on the on the green or the orange, whatever it might be. Somebody asked earlier. Now, in real life, if you're out there flying and you do something wrong, sometimes the air traffic controller will say, uh, "Do you have a pen? Uh, we need you to copy down uh, this number." Does that happen in the in the simulator world? <laughs> yeah. So that's a bit of a, a pilot edge general question, not necessarily sim sim venture. That's fine. Right. Uh, but yeah. So for the the short answer is, it, you don't. You're not going to get a phone number. However. Um, the controllers on Pilot Edge have a, a difficult line to walk because they want, it's all a big training network. Everyone on the network is training. There are, are more mistakes on Pilot Edge than you would ever see in any airspace in the NAS um, every day. And that's not to say that there are people just doing blatantly silly things, but, you know, someone will bust an altitude, someone will bust a heading. It's, I mean, you know, imagine that every single pilot in the NAS is a single student solo who has not been signed off to solo. And, you know, things will happen. Um, and so, uh, the controllers have a fine line to walk between a, some light instruction. You know, they don't want to act as your CFI. That's not why they're there. That's not why they're paid. Um, but so they will give some light instruction though, as far as, you know, let's say you get, let's say you're flying an ILS, you're getting vector from ILS and you hear the five miles from final approach fix, turn right, heading this, maintain this. Right. And, you know, the pilot reads it back. Great. But the pilot doesn't start turning until the very end of the readback. Right, that's something that that it can be corrected pretty easily. Where a controller sees the late turn and say, you know, November one, two, three, I, I notice you turned a little late there. In the future, you probably want to start turning. You know, when you start hearing the the instruction, um, and so the controllers do a little bit of light instruction, something like that. But if at the same time, the controllers are there to mimic the NAS as much as possible. So therefore, if you bust the Bravo. Um, you're going to hear about it and, you know, you're going to, now the controller is not going to say, Hey, you idiot, you know, what are you doing? But the controller is going to as professionally as they can say, November one, two, three, you're in violation of the X Bravo airspace, you know, turn left heading one, eight, zero immediately to exit Bravo. And, um, the deviations are actually are, are kept um, on record uh, just on the back end. They're not posted for humiliation or anything, but it's more so for training so that um, it, the system will actually automatically flag if um if the uh if if let's say one pilot has like five bravo busts within a week then mm -hmm. the ops the ops uh, people actually email that pilot and say hey you know it looks like you're having some issues with airspace here are some resources here are some references to help you 
um, with airspace knowledge and how to navigate Bravo airspace. So that's kind of how, that's why they use it is, is purely for training value to keep track of those deviations. But, um, I know it's a long winded answer and, and it's basically just to, to try and show that, you know, the controllers are there to help you. They all know it's a big training network and, um, any sort of, you know, deviation, obviously it's better to get that out in the SIM and learn in the SIM than it is for real. But at the same time, you want the pilots on the network to have that feeling that they are truly in the airplane. And so they want, you know, you want to have that heart stopping feeling of, Oh my God, I just busted Bravo, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, what's going to, as human beings, we learn so well from our mistakes Mm -hmm. and Sims are, are a terrific place to make those mistakes. And hopefully it'll serve as a wake up call to think, man, you know, I need to pay more attention to, you know, my, my GPS or my, you know, my, whatever radial you were using or my visual navigation or visual points to stay out of Bravo because, um, you know, I, this would have happened if I were in the real airplane. So we're doing uh, the sim venture, and at what point does the simulation end? Does it end when you land, or can you simulate a go around? That's a great question as well. So uh, that's one of the, one of the kind of I wouldn't call it differences, but just um, uh, just procedural operational differences, I guess, that sim venture has over air venture, where air venture you fly in and you taxi off and you set up camp and you camp for several days. Um, sim venture, there's really, you know, there's no need to go camp. Um, and, and the whole point behind the event is to fly in and out for that matter. You can practice the departure just as much as you can practice the arrival, um, as many times as possible. So we actually have, um, something we call them dynamic flagmen and they, what they are, they're flagmen that we can inject into your simulator in real time while you're connected to pilot edge that will point you in the direction of which you need to taxi. So when you land, um, you will follow the flagman and you can head right to the departure runway and take off again and go do it all again. So the kind of the, that's kind of the flow and the point is, you know, try and get three or four different approaches in. You might get a different runway. Uh, I, I can almost assure you your experience won't be the same two times in a row, whether you're following traffic, landing on a different dot, get a different runway, uh, have to do a 360, whatever it might be. Um, so when you land, you can follow the flagman and head right to the departure runway and take off again. Um, or you can head into the grass and shut it down and call it a day, or just sit there and watch some airplanes, um, watch a bunch of other people. Uh, again, it's all big virtual worlds. So you'll see all the airplanes, you'll hear the radio chatter, and it's a lot of fun that way. We also even have uh, prizes to give away this year. That's a new thing this year. So we are allowing, um, I'm sorry, we, are, uh, we have a prize pool worth over $2,500. Um, some of those big ticket items include a Bose A20 headset. So a legitimate headset um, for your flying in the real world. And uh, the way you enter is just to fly, basically. Uh, everyone will receive an entry when they take off, and everyone receives an entry when they land, up to 15 entries. So that's we're trying to encourage people to do as many different approaches or you know, fly the arrival as many times as, as you can, and that way you get more entries into uh, the contest. Very good. Uh, the Airline Pilot Guy Show community is worldwide, and we have some uh, someone, uh, Masha, from uh, the Netherlands asking a question. Is Pilot Edge only for U.S. airspace or also international? So Pilot Edge is uh, basically they cover the western half of the United States um, is, is the everyday coverage area. Obviously, we make an exception for SimVenture is that's up in the kind of uh, not necessarily western half, um, but uh, that's the everyday areas, the Western half, basically, you know, kind of draw a line from the Texas panhandle northbound. And then everything West of that is, is covered. Now, 
Um, you know, being outside the United States does pose challenges as far as, you know, the IKO versus, you know, uh, international rules and, and phraseology, a little bit differences. However, we have plenty of international users that fly on the network on a daily basis. And even SimVenture, I mean, people fly their airplanes some, sometimes from Europe to come over to Oshkosh. So that could definitely still be appealing to you. Um, the whole point behind Pilot Edge, you know, is, is get rid of mic fright, get used to uh, flying with ATC. So as long as you understand the differences in phraseology, it, it can still be a very positive experience. And for that matter, if even, you know, going back within the United States now, if you live in Florida or New York and that's where you fly, um, it, it's, I always kind of joke and say the FAA is kind enough. One of the very few things, you know, they're kind enough to do is standardize everything. Um, charts, you know, whether it's an IAP, um, an airport diagram, uh, an ILS, it, it's, you know, phraseology to enter a class delta, it's all standardized. It doesn't matter if you're on the East Coast or the West Coast. Sure, you're going to get different little things here and there at every airport. But overall, um, you know how to do something. That's why, you know, I mean, Jeff, being at a major airline, if you fly into an airport for the first time, and you make a mistake, you can't just say, oh, sorry, it's my first time here. You know, and I, I blew that hold short because I've never been here before. That's not an excuse, right? Wait, and that's wait, why... I can't use that excuse? <laughs> 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 you might have to go uh, ASAP a few things after yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, it, the standardization mean, makes it so that as pilots, you can fly anywhere, at least the United States and, and a lot of the world too. Obviously, you know, runway markings, all those are very standardized. And, and so you can fly anywhere and it's all going to be the same. So initially, people hear, "Oh, pilot is only the western half of the United States." I, I fly out of Florida. You know, it's not does not for me. That's not true. Um, you can find an airport that might be very similar to your class Charlie or class Delta that you fly out of, and 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 still practice those key procedures of you know talking to ATC and getting used to that. And all in all, you're a pilot. You don't want to just fly in your immediate area for your whole you know pilot career or hobby life. Um, you want to, uh, you know, you want to branch out and what better way to learn new airspace than do it in the sim. Excellent. Okay. So I know you have a hard out here very soon. Um, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today about what sim venture is and pilot edge. So how do people, uh, sign up for this and is there, uh, what are the costs associated? Sure. So SimVenture is just, uh, it's it's within the normal realm of, of a Pilot Edge account, which um, it's $20 a month. However, you can use SimVenture as part of your free trial. So if you have never tried Pilot Edge before, everyone, uh, every single user will get a free trial, which is uh, five hours of connectivity time to the network or a two-week period from the time in which you signed up, whatever comes first. So um, if you are uh listening to this live um we are still just outside of two weeks from SimVenture. so to be honest i would uh make a note in your phone to sign up for pilot edge in another four or five days from now that'll give you the full two weeks to go uh, uh sim ventures from july 14th through 17th so you know wait a few more days sign up for an account that'll give you your two weeks and then um you'll have five hours of connectivity time to the network that should be enough to get, you know, two or three runs down the railroad tracks at least. So uh, pilotedge.net is how you can uh, start there. You'll see a big banner for SimVenture on the right-hand side of that website. You can also just go straight to pilotedge.net slash SimVenture if you'd like, or visit uh, uh, at pilotedgeatc on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram, and you'll see everything about that as well. 
Excellent. We'll have uh, information in the show notes as well uh, for those who of you listening, um, not while we're recording this live. And uh, yeah, uh, thanks so much. I mean, twenty bucks a month—that's hardly anything. That's uh, for unlimited less usage. than that's, yeah, less than a dollar a day. I mean, that for this kind of experience is uh, is amazing. We've had so many users just, you know, just non-SIM venture, but on the pilot edge, you know, everyday side who have, uh, you know, soloed in sub 10 hours, gotten their PPL right at 40, and they come back and they tell us all about, you know, how their many, many hours on the SIM helped them do that. And for only 20 bucks a month, it saved them thousands in their flight training because they were able to do these things at minimums where most people spend three or four lessons just learning how to talk to the tower. So um, it's it's very beneficial that way. It's very efficient to be able to just fire up the sim for 30 minutes um, before you go to bed at night. You know ATC is going to be there. That's another thing with Pilot Edge is that the controllers are there when you expect them to be. 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. Pacific time. That's 15 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, 363 days a year. Uh, they will be there for you. So it's uh, it's a great option to have just out of the comfort of your own home to really in, uh, improve your your sim flying experience. Kevin, you are uh, amazing, and this uh, Pilot Edge uh, business is uh, is great. I, I I'm so glad that we had you on the show to tell everybody yeah, thank you about so much this. For having me on. All right. Well. Okay. Anything else, uh, Nick? You you have anything to ask or add before we uh, let Kevin go? No, it sounds a fascinating uh, concept, and uh, I hope um, Kevin has great success with it. He said it's a, a fascinating concept, and we hope that you have great success with this. So terrific! Thank All you right. very much. Thank you both. I really appreciate you having me on. You bet. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, have a good one, and good luck with uh, Sim Venture. Much appreciated. Take care, guys. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. That was fun. A different, Something different. Definitely different, yes. yeah. And you uh on clean feed now, Jeff? I do hear you on clean feed, okay. Liz. Thank you. Thank you. Before I was hearing this guy named Kevin talking on clean feed. Oh, I think everybody hears you. Let me turn off the clean feed to StreamYard thing. And uh okay, here we go. Turn that off. So now they won't be able to hear all the snarky comments that Liz makes, at least not live. Um, <laughs> yes. And uh, let's see. We can also um, turn off my microphone in CleanFeed so that you can not have to hear me in both places, Liz. Boom. Okay. Now you only hear me in StreamYard. So as I said, this just came up like very last minute as far as having Kevin um, on the show today. We had ta- we had been coordinating this for a few weeks. Uh, we weren't sure exactly when we were going to be able to get him on the show, if we we're going to do a special, you know, one-on-one type of thing, or if we we're going to have him as we did today as part of our, uh, like a guest co-host. Um, and uh, he, I think he uh, wasn't available for, you know, it was just tough getting the schedules all to align perfectly and uh, just happened to, uh, contact him this morning and say, hey, we're going to record today. It's going to be a little bit longer recording than normal because of everybody's schedules. You know, maybe you'd want to, you know, join us today and tell everybody about SimVenture because it's only in a couple of weeks. And he said that would be absolutely fantastic. So thank you, Kevin, for joining us today. And uh, if anybody has any questions, we'll have 
all the information that uh, we can give you in our show notes. And I guess just look for uh, Pilot Edge uh, on YouTube. They have a YouTube channel there, and they also have a dedicated uh, website. Now, it's time for some news. Stand by for news. This morning, yet another sighting of an unidentified person wearing a jetpack flying high above the Los Angeles area about 15 miles from LAX. The strange sight detailed through air traffic control audio between an American Airlines pilot and an airport dispatcher. He said 4,500 and eastbound. That was uh, an aircraft four and a half miles ahead reported to a person in a jetpack eastbound at 4,500. No word on the identity of the makeshift air traveler, but it's not the first sighting of its kind. We just passed a guy in a jetpack. Don't hear that every day. Back in December, another American Airlines pilot on a training flight captured this video of what appeared to be someone wearing a jetpack flying just a few miles from the airport. But the video was dismissed as a balloon that looked like a guy with a jetpack. And just a few months earlier, last August, multiple pilots reported some kind of high-flying hazard in the sky. You know, we just saw the guy passed by us. A person in a jetpack reported 300 yards south of the LA final at about 3,000 feet. Jetpack technology is out there with sightings at the Statue of Liberty and in the UK where the Royal Navy's been developing and testing a jet suit for boarding enemy ships. But experts say operating a makeshift jetpack near commercial flights could spell disaster. The size weight of a person in a jetpack impacting an airplane at the exact wrong spot could potentially bring that airliner down. People need to fly them in a responsible way. The FAA says it has worked closely with the FBI to investigate every reported jetpack sighting, and so far, no sightings have been verified. Yeah. Hi, everyone. George Stephanopoulos here. Thank, Thank you, George. Uh, that was from ABC News, and we appreciate them uh, letting us use their video without permission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, please, please don't get angry with us. <laughs> so... Yeah, I was saying, is it just a coincidence? But it seems like it, the only people ever seen these uh, this jetpack man are American Airlines pilots. <laughs> what <laughs> yeah, are you yeah, guys smoking that, over there? <laughs> that that it's always going into L.A. So uh, yeah. I guess that people in L.A. got a lot of money, and uh, if you want to play with your jetpack, um, that's the place to do it. Obviously, wave at the passengers as they go by. Yeah. It's kind but, of fun. Uh, someone was quite right. It's pretty brave going up to four and a half thousand feet in one of these because, mm. you know, limited fuel, uh, you really have to make quite a careful, controlled descent. Um, so if you run out of fuel on the way down, it could get very embarrassing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of uh, wondering now if it if it does involve a uh, some kind of a drone that somebody has affixed, like something that looks like a, a human, uh, you know, con- connected to a jetpack kind of thing. Or oh, yeah, it could be a drone dragging a, a sort of lightweight silhouette, you mean, mm-hmm. uh, to make it look like a there's a drone. Doll. Yeah, oh, a sorry, a jetpack. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, they, they exist. I've seen plenty of uh, prototypes 
and uh, they look pretty cool. I mean, they're all based around the uh, these microjet technology uh, that uh, um, is used frequently in model aircraft, um, the real sort of miniaturized jet turbines, um, which are incredibly efficient, uh, and a, a backpack with a bit of uh, avatar and uh, jet A1 back there. Uh, strap one onto each of your uh, limbs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nope for the best. <laughs> Absolutely. Eyehall Boxes has a question. Yeah. Uh, well, has a question. Maybe uh, Nick can read that while I do something here in the background. So uh, can you always go around in a jetpack? I, I think you can uh, for 30 seconds because that's usually about the amount of uh, – certainly the old James Bond ones used to only be able to fly for about 30 seconds. You know, I think they worked from compressed gas, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, um, yeah, you, ha you had very little <laughs> fuel of that, so it wasn't wise to go very high. But these, I'm pretty certain if, uh, if this is a real – piece of kit and certainly the uh, militarized versions that are being trialed by the royal navy uh they're genuine and they they work from these little mini turbines i think they can probably fly uh, a considerable distance and they you can get them up to a really good speed you know 70 or 80 miles an hour so uh, you know the possibility perhaps in the future of uh, troops using them to uh, advance on the battlefield you know may not be impossible I do have a question about that. You know, they, they mentioned in that video about uh, the uh, Royal um, Navy using that to board enemy ships. I'm thinking, aren't they quite noisy? And wouldn't you make be making yourself a sitting duck, uh, you know, if you're coming uh, yeah, up to a you'd, ship? Yeah, you'd, but you'd put some NVGs on and uh, land at night, wouldn't you? Yeah. That would be wow. the ideal thing. I think they were, yeah, the, the SBS, device. were the special boat service, were looking at them as a means to get to, um, you know, um, vessels, ships that had been perhaps hijacked or, or uh, you know, just mm -hmm. the vessels they wanted to attack. Um, and uh, it was probably better to come in at 80 miles an hour with a jetpack than it is to come in uh, on a boat doing uh, a fraction of that speed. I don't that's know. true. Uh, that's my uh, my thought. But yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm just wondering how you fire your gun if while you're flying along this. Because, of course, if you have your arms down to stabilize and provide thrust, uh, if you pick your arms up to hold a gun, don't you then start tumbling? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to have like an Iron Man setup, right? With a site that's in, built into your visor and some oh, yeah, controls yeah, rockets that, are, that come out of your yeah. backpack. Come that on. would be the idea. Use your imagination here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Way to go. All Love right. It. Well, I, uh, the next news item is also a video. So let's uh, listen to this one. It's a reconstruction of flights from, uh, okay, what was the, uh, uh, the video? You can see ATC. Uh, this involved an Air France Boeing 777-200 performing flight uh, number eight from Paris de Gaulle uh, Airport in France to New York John F. Kennedy International Airport, where they have the best, nicest controllers in the world, uh, being at the gate call, uh, called ground controller and reported that they had been hit by ITA Airways Airbus A330-200 uh, performing flight uh, 611 from New York to Rome. Uh, they wanted the controller to cancel the takeoff of ITA Airline, Airways 611. As a result, 
ITA Airway 611 departed and continued the flight to Rome. So let's uh, have a listen here. Taro 611 heavy, runway 31 left, taxi left Bravo, hold short stall. Hello, good evening. How can I help you? This is your first time calling me. Yes, this is Air France 008. We are on standard 9, and there is an Alitalia passing behind us that hit our aircraft. Uh, it's very dangerous for him, uh, not to take off. Can you say this again, please? You're saying that the Alitalia aircraft hit you? Where are you? This Alitalia was to take off. Better to control the takeoff. Okay, where are you? If you copy for the Alitalia, I don't know the, which Alitalia. Okay, where are you, Alitalia? This is Air France 008. We got a damage from an Alitalia passing behind on standard 9. Uh, I'm not aware of the pilots uh, where they are uh, the aircraft. Are you sure it was Alitalia? Yes, uh, the good staff uh, told me it was uh, Alitalia. Air France, where are you? We are at the gate number nine. Gate number nine. Gate number nine. IT ramp, step blue, 2864, pushing golf for gate one. Please stop calling me. I'm going to talk to Air France now. Air France 008, I would like you to call a cow, please. You're on ground. Please check your frequency. Yes, Air France 008 has begun, and uh, for you to stop the takeoff from Alitalia because he has damaged his aircraft. He has damage. Air France 008, please call. Are you ready to copy the phone number? Air France 008? Yes, area code. Okay. Tower 611 Heavy, wind 35011, runway 31 left, set for takeoff. There goes the uh, damaged Italia six one one. We're right on it. And the depiction of the video shows them taking off. Bye bye. How do you say that in uh, hey, Italian? Six eleven heavy. <laughs> Ciao. 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 Yes, sir. Uh, just to let you know, another uh, aircraft uh, on the ground currently, Air France, said that you hit them or something of that nature while you were taxiing. Did you uh, experience any uh, damage to the aircraft? Negative, sir. Okay, sir. It's uh, 611 Heavy. Just uh, thought I'd ask you just to make sure. Contact New York Departure, please. New York Departure. It's 611. Ciao. Ciao. They continued the flight to Rome. The aircraft... Oh, shoot. <laughs> I need to put, put that on pause here. Let me back that up so I can read it. They think I'm a very fast reader. Uh, the aircraft remained on the ground in Rome. Okay, so ITA Airways 611 continued the flight to Rome. The aircraft remained on the ground in Rome for 46 hours. Okay, so... But they never say if they... They never really, yeah, say in the video, at least, that there was damage uh, done to the ITA. Air no, it used to be 
Alitalia, right? But didn't is it a new name now? ITA. Uh, ITA. I, I don't know whether this is the same call sign. Maybe. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's a subsidiary. Um, okay. Yeah. But hmm. uh, I, I mean, uh, there's lots of uh, airlines that use uh, a Delta call sign, for example, but they're not actually Delta, are they? They're uh, Eagle Air or something. I'm guessing that's what it is. No. But uh, there are no, ser- could have been serious consequences <laughs> with this, and I, I'm pretty perturbed, actually, that a bit of good common sense didn't rear its ugly head at some point. And uh, um, one, I don't understand how the ground controller thought it was more efficient for the pilot of this Air France aircraft to find a mobile phone that worked in America and to dial this number he gave to speak to the bloke who was in the same control room mm-hmm. or area as he was sitting. I don't know. I don't understand the layout of JFK's tower, but presumably the ground and the tower controllers are in the same building, mm-hmm. or even if they not, they must be able to talk to each other on a, a, a landline. they so got to be in I, the same I, tower cab um, for yeah, a local I, control. I don't yeah. understand why he thought it was more appropriate for the uh, Air France to do that. He had to ask him three times where he was, it, although the Air France said three times he was on stand nine. I think if it said gate nine, it well, probably would have been clearer. Yeah. But, you know, it should be pretty obvious to gets lots of foreign pilots in there that will probably call them stands rather than gates Mm -hmm. um i thought it was all a bit of a a shambles quite honestly if you've got suspected damage to an aircraft there's no way you should go flying and air traffic should if necessary um take control and stop them say yeah say there's you know potentially you've been damaged and um you should go back to your your parking position and have your aircraft inspected mm-hmm. uh, that which sort of seemed to be the least uh they could have done and right. certainly uh, the safest option um and i'm also a bit hacked off with the alitalia crew uh, themselves the ita crew because mm-hmm. i'm going you know, if someone even suspects, oh, mind you, they were airborne at that point, weren't they? Yeah. They hadn't actually taken off when they got told about the damage. So no, they well, were. Suppose- no, they were airborne when they when they yeah. were told. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah. suppose they've they've got a point there. If if you're airborne and it's flying okay, well, possibly you could say, well, I want to just carry on to Italy. Be a lot easier to fix when we get home. Um, but uh, no, I was generally speaking not <laughs> not at all impressed. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not either. Mm. That was uh, not well done at all. Yeah. No. I mean, in previous circumstances, there have been plenty of ground collisions at JFK. It's it's pretty tight spaces. Uh, they all seem to have been well handled. Um, I don't understand why this one. And, oh, and that's another interesting thing. The the actual Alitalia passed the back of uh, the Air France aircraft 27 minutes before the crew uh, got there. So I'm thinking if someone had seen this happen and they were told, the flight crew were told apparently by their ground crew that it happened, why on earth weren't the ground crew on a phone to somebody saying, saying hey, uh, this aircraft I'm checking out here, preparing to be seen off, just been hit by a taxiing aircraft. I mean, uh, yeah, lots of things, lots of fun, Yuns. 
here yes. lining up. And it was very lucky that the damage wasn't sufficient because uh, the uh, Alitalia aircraft a severe problem. Yeah. Very, very true. Oh, by the way, just a point um, to be made regarding your uh, – just so that people listening go, oh, that's not right. The uh, only Delta Airlines uses the Delta call sign. The subsidiaries oh, of okay. Delta, uh, they'll use All their right. own company's call sign. So if it's Endeavor or SkyWest, they'll say – yeah, they'll use Brickyard or uh, okay. whatever call sign. So, But to the public – the ticket that they have, <laughs> everything says Delta Airlines on it, including everything inside the cabin and all the safety cards, everything you know, makes it look like it really is the parent company, but it's not. It's uh, IL has a comment yeah. here. He says IL says, and, uh, after landing, a hit was also discovered on Alitalia's plane. It certainly could have uh, evolved into something more serious in the air. Yeah, it could have. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we all taught this in the airline industry. Safety is everybody's responsibility. Mm -hmm. And if you see something that has happened, whether you're a, you know, a street sweeper or, a, you know, or the most senior bloke on the airport, you do something about it. You've, you phone the safety hotline number. Every airport should have one. It used to be on all our IDs uh, at Heathrow, the uh, emergency number, if you saw something that needed reporting, you phoned this special it's number. Um, and I'm sure something equivalent exists at JFK. Hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or as they say, safety doesn't happen by accident. Hi. Very true. Very clever. Okay. Uh, let's go to um, item D, uh, final report. Uh, an accident, Qantas A330-200 at Sydney on the 15th of December, 2019. Hydraulic leak prompts evacuation. Again, this is from Aviation Herald. A Qantas Airbus A330-200 registration, Victor Hotel, Echo Bravo Charlie, performing flight 575 from Sydney to Perth, was climbing out of Sydney when the crew received indication of a hydraulic leak. They stopped the climb at flight level 230, returned to Sydney for a safe landing on runway 34 left and about, uh, at about 45 minutes after departure. The aircraft vacated the runway and stopped on the parallel taxiway. About 20 minutes later, the aircraft was towed to the apron. Already on the apron, mist began to reduce visibility in the cabin. Passengers began to complain about sore eyes and itchy throats. Once the tow stopped at the stand, the captain initiated an evacuation via slides. Emergency services responded. Two passengers were taken to hospitals with injuries received during the evacuation. The airline confirmed the aircraft was evacuated at the gate. It appears hydraulic fluid entered the air conditioning systems. Two passengers were taken to hospitals. A number of passengers complained about sore eyes, itchy throats, and declined treatment. The uh, Australian Transportation Safety Board have uh, opened an investigation. Passengers describe a pungent odor developed on board before the aircraft was evacuated. Uh, passenger photos indicated visibility on board reduced uh, due to haze slash mist. Okay, so let's um, jump forward. Or does this go ahead and just blend in the final report with that initial narrative? Um, 2019? 20, okay, here we go. On the, tw on the 22nd of June, uh, just a few days ago, the ATSB released their final report concluding that the probable causes of the accident were uh, the contributing factors, the rudder, rudder servo hydraulic system pressure hose ruptured in flight, depleting the green hydraulic system of fluid, 
which necessitated a return to Sydney. After the auxiliary power unit, the APU, was started and bleed was selected on, the aircraft was towed back to the terminal. The leaking hydraulic fluid was ingested into the APU air intake. The atomized hydraulic fluid, which appeared as haze, mist, or smoke, was then distributed into the cabin and flight deck through the air conditioning system, resulting in the captain deciding to evacuate the aircraft. A number of passengers evacuated using the escape slides in a manner that increased the risk of injury. For example, on their knees, (laughs) lying down or sitting before sliding, or with the hands on the slides. Of the 93 passengers that used the escape slides to exit the aircraft, one was seriously injured and five received minor injuries. Uh, other factors that increased the risk, risk, although some cabin crew members had detected unusual smells both before and after the aircraft had been towed back to the terminal, they did not pass this information on to the flight crew prior to the captain's decision to initiate an evacuation. Although some of Qantas's A330 aircraft were fitted with an emergency evacuation signal, the emergency evacuation checklist located in the flight deck for these aircraft did not include the use of the evacuation signal. In addition, there was no documented procedure that detailed when the evacuation signal should be used by a cabin crew. A cabin crew member did not open an available exit, even though they had observed that there were no signs of smoke, fire, or obstruction outside the aircraft. Rather, they assumed that there was a fire outside due to the haze and smoke being visible inside the cabin. During the evacuation, one cabin crew member did not assess outside conditions properly, and two cabin crew members did not continue to check exit availability, instead directing passengers to the available aero bridges. The aircraft evacuation occurred at a time when cabin crew members had completed their shutdown duties and the doors had all been disarmed, with an aero bridge already connected to the aircraft. As a result... And that's, by the way, that's a kind of a normal thing. You know, you get to the gate, you connect the, and there's an announcement made usually that, you know, go ahead and uh, disarm the doors and that kind of thing so you don't accidentally uh, deploy a slide. As a result, two exit doors were opened in the disarmed mode, although one of these exits was then armed and reopened and the slide deployed. The other exit remained open without the slide deployed and was declared blocked. Well, that's dangerous, especially... On an A330, Nick, you know, you're up how many feet off the ground? Pretty high up there. Oh, yeah, it's a good 30-foot drop on the concrete. Uh, And, of course, in an evacuation with people bustling around trying to get out as fast as possible, it would be quite easy for someone to be knocked out of an open door or actually think the slide's there and just jump in the midair. Yay, and just leap out and then, uh uh-oh. That's right. Qantas's cabin crew recurrent training did not include any situation whereby a disarmed door would have to be rearmed in an emergency. This increased the likelihood that a door would be opened without the escape slide deployed, reducing the number of available exits. That's a safety issue. Qantas's method of briefing passengers provided limited and inconsistent information about how to use the escape slide safely and what to do with cabin baggage in an emergency. (laughs) Qantas's cabin crew primary evacuation commands did not include phrases such as leave everything behind and jump and slide. Instead, these phrases were optional. Consequently, passengers would generally not receive specific guidance until they reached an exit, which would likely slow down the evacuation. Um, Anyway, it goes on much more details there. And basically what happened, uh, the, the, the cause of all this, the hydraulic hose um, failed and, uh, and goes into some detail about, you know, exactly how it failed and why they think it failed. And the last time it had, 
been inspected and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, they so they shut down, get a tug to tow the airplane to the to the gate, and um, so they shut down the engines. And of course, they want the APU on so they can have air conditioning uh, on board and electrical power. And um, but as they note in this final report, when the cabin started filling with mist and haze, uh, nobody on the cabin crew decided it was an important enough thing to let the cockpit crew know. And uh, that was a major communications failure right there, I think. Had they known, uh, yeah, they I probably agree. would immediately uh, just turn the APU bleed off, I'm sure. You know, that yeah. would be my reaction. Uh, yeah. And, and the, the earlier you can associate your selection of the APU bleed on and the appearance of uh, mist in the cabin, the, the earlier you'll associate it with the problem you've just had, a hydraulic fluid getting into the APU. And you go, okay, right, two and two is four, let's turn the APU off um, or at least turn the bleed off um, and see if it disappears. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're right. So uh, I, I don't know how well the a the, I don't know how the crew found out that there was a possible situation that required an evacuation. So per- perhaps someone from the cabin was talking to them. But, uh, you know, an awful lot of the captain's decision on whether to initiate an evacuation, which is a last-ditch maneuver when it comes to saving life in the cabin, because we know that there is a high likelihood of injuries, as occurred in this evacuation, if you... Uh, blow the slides and everyone tries to run down them. Uh, so you've always got to bear that in mind, which is the safest option. Is it safer to get people off the jetway, or uh, which will take longer? Or is it safer uh, because we've really got to get everyone off immediately uh, to throw everyone down the slides? Uh, and th- that's a, a tough one. And you're often relying on your communication with the cabin crew to make that decision, because unless you send one of your own guys back to take a look at it and then come back and report to you, which itself takes a while, um, you've got to make a decision on how, what they're they're describing in the back. Um, I think, in retrospect, the captain might now say, mm, perhaps it would have been better to have let the passengers walk off because it wasn't a fire. Uh, it was indeed a nasty, toxic material being atomized and pumped into the cabin. Um, but, you know, there was, uh, it was relatively survivable, I would say. <laughs> right. Fact, very survivable. Yeah. Uh, you could just get up and walk out of that airplane within a few seconds and everything will be fine. Yeah. You could have made the announcement, uh, okay, folks, we have to, you know, Evacuate the aircraft quickly. Leave all your luggage. Don't take anything. You know, drop everything and just get off the airplane as quickly as possible. Yeah. And uh, just use the jetways. But you know, as in life, everything is you know twenty. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But oh, I think that yeah. early on, if they had been notified that, hey, yeah, uh, yeah, Captain, there's, I don't know, there's smoke or something back here. There's something misty and my and causing my eyes to burn and, you know. If they had done that like right away, they may have been able to isolate that that issue and not been a problem at all. That's exactly right. And then, of course, the captain ends up in this dreadful dilemma. 
if he had been able to stop the target, evacuate the aircraft on a taxiway, um, that would have been a much more efficient and better controlled evacuation, I'm sure, because once he had arrived on the gate and had disarmed all the doors, uh, an evacuation is no longer really on the cards in, in the way that we all practice, in the way that all your training takes place. Um, so now you, you, in order to evacuate, you've got to rearm the doors and uh, then call for the evacuation. And that is a step that not many people would think of. You, would, you might think, oh, the cabin crew will remember to, to rearm the doors before they open them. Uh, or perhaps it might have been better to say, uh, prepare for an evacuation, rearm all doors, evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. Um, I don't know. I'm making it up on, but this guy, presumably, since there was no procedure for him to follow, was presumably doing the same thing. He was making it up as he went along. And the only reason I'm sort of raising this as a possible criticism, and it's not for the crew, it's for the company, is because I think 10 years ago, our company realized that there was this moment of indecision that might occur if you wanted to evacuate an aircraft that is on the gate. Uh, on the stand, um, without the the doors being armed. How do you accomplish this in a safe manner and get everything right? And we actually wrote a procedure for it that, um, you know, entered the QRH, uh, and it was an airline-only procedure since uh, no one else had one. Uh, and um, it covered all the circumstances when you might want to evacuate the aircraft uh, and you were in a position where either the slides couldn't be used or uh, they had been disarmed. So, you know, other companies have thought of this, um, and perhaps Qantas needed to do a bit more looking around to see what other companies do to see if they can bring themselves uh, up to date with that sort of thing. That was very smart of uh, your former airline to. Well, I suspect come up it was that. one individual who said. Uh, in the simulator or something, uh, I've just had a problem here, and he managed to get it through for the the people who make the decisions to go, mm -hmm. oh, okay, right, we'll write a procedure for that. Yeah. I have to say, our cabin crew training people were exceptional on uh, on my our airline. They were, you know, very, very professional, uh, and it was the sort of thing that they would really have latched onto. Now, do you think the uh, they, they mentioned the um, emergency evacuation switch? Um, yeah, it, I, I don't know a lot about that because because we worked mixed fleets and our cabin crew uh, trained on all aircraft. We tried to keep everything common. So even though there was an evacuation button that we could press that lit up lights and fired horns and things, I think. Because uh, we never used it, um, we never we never used it. We relied on the same procedure as all the other aircraft. We used the PA to make an evacuation call, okay, uh, rather than use an automated uh, button. That's very system. likely exactly the situation here. That since it was a mixed yeah. fleet of you know capability, then just make it you know the common denominator. And because when you're uh, in a situation I, I like, go ahead. Yeah, I think it's the, no, I think that's probably the case. Uh, and I don't think there's any criticism uh, of yeah. the crew associated with that. Okay. Very good. Um, let's, uh, for this first part of the show, uh, hit uh, uh, news item E, and then we'll move on to getting to know us. Um, all right. Welcome back, Liz. Um, from Paddle Your Own <laughs> yes. Canoe. 
Uh, we get some great stories from them, don't we? Yeah. They're great. Uh, we do. Uh, this is one of Liz's favorite uh, sources of news, and they're always interesting. This is another interesting one. Um, there's a video uh, showing an air marshal brandishing a gun after passengers tried to get into the flight deck to speak to the captain. I'm sure they were going to say nothing but good things. Um, an armed air marshal on board a private Jordanian charter flight brandished his gun at a group of passengers after they allegedly tried to get into the flight deck to speak with the captain. The incident is, is believed to have occurred several months ago, but video of the altercation has only just surfaced in recent days and has quickly gone viral. No one was hurt in the incident, but the full circumstances of what took place still haven't been made public. What we do know is that the altercation happened on board a plane operated by Jordan Aviation, which is a private charter company, and that the airline was operating the flight from Saudi Arabia to Nigeria as part uh, of an Umrah pil pilgrimage package. I'm not sure. Is that right? Umrah? Umrah? Probably roll the R a little bit. According to several accounts, the plane was forced to divert from its intended destination in Nigeria and landed in a different city. Passengers on board the aircraft then wanted to speak with the captain. I guess they weren't happy, uh, but were prevented from doing so by an air marshal who marshal who pulled a handgun on the passengers. It is standard practice for most Jordanian airlines to have an armed air marshal on international services. Flag carrier Royal Jordanian has used air marshals since 1970 and continues to pocket the expense, even though it admits. The protection provided by armed guards is both expensive and risky since there's always concern over a gun battle in midair. Uh, Jordan was convinced to start using air marshals more than 40 years ago after the popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine hijacked four aircraft belonging to the now-defunct airlines Pan Am, TWA, Swiss Air on 6 September 1970, and then three days later after a hijacked fifth plane belonging to British Overseas, uh, what's the A? Uh, BOAC? Airways Corporation. Airways Corporation? Okay, Airways Corporation, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so let's talk about this specific instance, and we do have we that have video? Twitter video. Yes, Liz, uh, one of our listeners, Jeremy. Did you do the download thing? I did the download thing, Liz. Yeah, thanks to Jeremy. Uh, he told me that there was a service that I could do that. So here we go. Watch. I, I have proof. <laughs> Okay, so you hear the air marshal telling everybody back, and a couple of uh, not-so-happy men are trying to have a conversation with the captain. However, the air marshal saying, please, back up, and he's holding his handgun pointed at them. Yet he has his mask on. Uh, he well, he I think maybe he did have his mask on, Liz. But at this point, he thought maybe communication might be hampered with the mask over the mouth and nose, and so it is now over his chin. But his chin is fully protected. Um, yeah. So wow, that looks like those a pretty. Men, those men didn't seem very scared of the gun. No, the, the, you're right, Liz. She said these men did not seem very scared of this gun that was being pointed right at them. Maybe they're used to this sort of thing. I don't know. What do you think, Nick? Well, uh, I've flown plenty of... I don't know if these are Nigerian gentlemen or not, but I have flown plenty of flights uh, um, involving a lot of uh, people from that country, and uh, they can on occasions get a little excitable, the flights, uh, particularly if there's a bit of a hiccup. Um, in my experience, the 
and it's the same for almost all these circumstances. Um, if the captain can come out, it, I mean, if the aircraft's parked on the ground, usually there's no uh, reason, not many reasons, why you can't come out and settle a problem. The captain comes out and speaks directly to uh, the passengers. It's usually pretty uh, easy to, uh, I say that in inverted commas, sometimes it's not, uh, to get everyone uh, on the side, settle everyone down, explain the situation, uh, and, you know, you're the the port of uh, last call because, you know, once the captain said it, it, it is so, it is so. Uh, and, um, you know, that usually satisfies them. I remember getting some advice from a, a an old captain of many years' experience, and he said, uh, uh, always put your jacket and hat on, button yourself up, and go back there with an air of authority because that's exactly what you need to project when you're facing uh, an excitable mob. Um, the air marshal was just trying to do his job, I think, and uh, the, he's quite right. You can't, you can't demand and force your way onto the flight deck because uh, that's the way hijacks happen. Even if the aircraft's on the ground, you can end up with a hostage situation on the ground. Uh, and uh, we've seen plenty of uh, hijacks in the past where the crew were forced to take off um, and uh, take the aircraft somewhere else, uh, even, you know, if, if they were on the ground. So, you know, you can hijack an aircraft that's just sitting on the ground. It, it has happened. Um, so I, I'm just like you. I'm a bit gobsmacked that the passengers uh, didn't respond more respectfully to the end of a nine millimeter pistol held four feet from your face. Yeah. But <laughs> there you go. There's <laughs> no accounting. Uh, it's what, like uh, this happens every day to me. People shooting, yeah. you know, holding guns at, at my head. At least he's exactly. not firing it. Yeah. And of course, the only problem with if you're an arm, armed with a handgun, the only recourse you have if they, it gets any worse is to shoot somebody mm -hmm. or fire the gun. You know, so. You do ask yourself, you know, is there nothing in between? Right. And uh, what, where were the rest of the cabin crew? Because, you know, you would normally expect the cabin crew, and we used to have a specific uh, situation where we could uh, make a special PA, uh, a coded PA, and all of the cabin crew would beat feet up to the front end of the airplane to you know, perform if necessary, a bit of a human barrier or to tackle um, someone who was trying to force their way onto the flight deck. Um, so uh, you think to yourself, where were the, the cabin crew at the time? Uh, certainly sounded a bit of a, didn't sound like a, just a simple um, diversion because normally you can explain to people that, you know, the weather's not good. We've landed somewhere else, we're going to turn the airplane around and in a couple of hours the weather will be good and you can go back where you were right? Uh, or where you expect to be. Uh, so I don't know what was going on to make the passengers so upset. Yeah, very limited information there uh, regarding that. You made a very important point. Uh, there are a lot of people uh, in our profession that want to really relax uniform standards and make it very um, casual and no hat and that kind of thing. And I've always said, you know, as much as so many people don't like wearing that hat, 
that hat, and as you said, if you uh, are wearing the the wind, if, well, I guess you probably wore that year round. But and I kind of wish that my airline did the same. But wearing that uniform jacket and that hat gives you an aura of authority, and that can be so important in diffusing situations like this. And you know, to me, you know, it's one thing to be comfortable, but I think it's much more important that we uh, appear to be uh, figures of authority uh, when wearing our uniform. Yeah. So that's my thing. Yeah, and, Maybe and I'm know just old when school, to exercise you know. that authority, when right. to make uh, your presence felt, because if it's getting to the point that your air marshal might shoot somebody, uh, that's probably the time in which the intervention by the captain is is well overdue. So you should really be up front and out there before you get to that stage. Yep. For sure, for sure. All right. Very good. We're going to go ahead and get to know us time. Getting to know us. I still haven't fixed that picture and put Nick C in there. Oh, dear. Well, must get round to that. But who do I take out? He's not here right now, so he'll never know. Don't anybody tell him that he's not. He's not <laughs> uh, anyway, Nick, uh, so uh, we missed you last week. Uh, what have you been up to? Be- busy uh, well, with the I bowls? Just, <laughs> yes, exactly. It has been a busy time with uh, the bowls, and uh, everyone probably knows that the summer is our bowling season here, and uh, I, I get fully involved. And I'm actually a member of two clubs at the moment because I'm in the process of moving to a more local club. So I've You're actually such joined high demand. that local club. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, the competition's going well uh, through to the last eight in the county of Surrey, uh, playing for our county badges. So, <clears throat> excuse me. It's called the unbadged singles, but uh, because if you win it, you get a county badge, which is a mark of honor. So, no needs, uh, no stinking badges. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I and, and what do you stick it on nowadays? No one wears blazers anymore. <laughs> I know, so, that's true. Um, absolutely. So that's been keeping me very busy and uh you know just a lot of social events and things mm-hmm. and I was um I was just realizing how long the plane tails were taking me to produce nowadays and uh partly my own fault for wanting to make them as uh, as detailed uh, and as perfectly recorded uh, and as accurate as possible, um, and partly because I'm just not a- able to get through them as fast as I used to. Um, so uh, I, I've kind of uh, decided that I would like to just present them every fortnight rather than every week, um, which... Uh, is a shame, I, I understand, and uh, if I can fit one in every week, I will do so. But generally speaking, I think it's probably uh, going to give me a bit more time to do all the other things in my life if I just cut back a little bit and do them every other week. So, it, you know, with your permission and with everyone's understanding, um, I hope that won't be too much of a problem. That's your baby, man. You can do whatever you want with it. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we, we always uh, yeah. enjoy hearing them. But, you know, you, you're retired. This is uh, the time in your life where you should just be having a stress-free, wonderful time enjoying life, uh, well, enjoying right. your family uh, and everything I, else. I had noticed that uh, Jilly and I were doing more and more things on our own because one of us was – 
otherwise occupied. And for me, it was always, oh, I've got to get the plain tale done. So I, I need this morning to record. And uh, oh, so if Jilly you know, you, you go out and I'll, I'll do it another day. And uh, I realized after a while we that that's uh, probably not the ideal. Um, no, that's true. We don't so. need more than one uh, APG divorce, you know. Don't think he's quite got there yet. Well, that's uh, good. Anyway, so plain tales every other week, probably, and uh -huh. um, you know, I'll be using the uh, the spare time that I've generated as a result to have a bit more family time. Oh, um, absolutely. I even told from Nick, that, you know, even you know, like. Once a month is fine too. I mean, just, it's not. <laughs> That's very kind. I mean, I love you. them, but you know, you, it, it's you need to focus on your priorities. And I know that you are. Yeah. You're a smart man. And uh, so, anyway, when we actually do get to hear a plain tale, which we do get to hear this week, um, oh, yes. it, it's just going to be so much more special. So, and um, it, of course, I've actually got a number of tales I would like to do, but I've got to dig through yeah, me a whole too. book. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're talking about the plain tales. Yes, afraid so. To um, get to them, to get the meat of them. And I never used to have time to do that. But if I allow myself a few extra days, then I there's a good chance. In fact, the very next one is going to be um, mainly extracted from a book that I can delve into a book, read it properly, and then construct a decent plain tale of it. So that that's the aim anyway. Excellent. Um, less of them, better quality, et cetera. Oh, that's sweet. Other than um, that, um, yeah. life ticks on very nicely here. Thank you very much indeed. We're doing fine. Yes, Tim Van Ram uh, made a good point. It's a real wonder how little free time there is in retirement. You'll find yeah, it disappears enough. amazingly quickly. Yep. Um, yeah, so I'm, I kind uh, of, I'm trying, trying to generate some more. I have a feeling I, I already know, uh, <laughs> you know a little bit about that because – you know, honestly, this job of flying airplanes in my profession um, and career it gets in the way of doing things like the APG and all the other mm. things going on in my life. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to retirement uh, at some point, uh, maybe sooner rather than later. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Absolutely. But, um, anyway. Well, I think you'll enjoy it when you get there. I am gonna, looking forward to it. Are we going to do your getting to know us or hold that for later? I, uh, we're going to wait until the next um, yeah. thing for getting to know us, uh, J uh, Jeff's edition, because I just remembered <laughs> that I did a uh, audio uh, recording of something that I want to play for getting to know okay. us, and it's still on my phone, and it's not all ready to go and play well, for our show yet. So we can hold the cover art till later too, because you okay. did it. That's fine. Yeah, let's do that. We'll we'll uh, hold the cover art for uh, the next, the second half of the show, and I think this would be a good time, Liz. You think to yeah, uh, do this week's episode or this episodes? Uh, I'm saying that wrong. I shouldn't say this week's or. Ep an episode of Plain Tales. <laughs> I'll get it right eventually. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly how to say that. But uh, so here we go. We're going to scroll down. We're going to find this Plain Tale. And oh, I always, and I say this every time, and I really mean it. I think these are some of the most entertaining and enjoyable Plain Tales that you put out there, Nick. It's, uh, again, the RAF Form 414. And in this case, Volume 7. Wow, 17. Okay. I uh, can't well, wait. We're we getting somewhere now, though. Absolutely. I mean, are we even halfway yeah, yeah. through or what? Uh, uh, yeah, we've got to be halfway through. We're also halfway around the world. Oh, boy. 
Oh, what a tease. The Old Pilots Playing Tales, RAF Form 414, Volume 17. Whether it was the slight embarrassment of their RAF exchange pilot leaving them to take up a post in America flying F-15s instead, but shortly after my posting officer offered me that alternative job, the Australian Air Commodore, who ran the wing of Hornets based at Williamtown, had a chat with me. They would, it appeared, let me start training on the F-18 on their own recognizance, but only up to the weapons phases, when I would start to see the aircraft's more confidential capabilities. Hopefully by then, all the required permissions would have arrived. So, whilst Jilly started unpacking our many boxes, I got stuck into ground school. During the wait, I had the chance to meet the pilots on the last remaining Mirage Squadron on the base, 77 Squadron, the Grumpy Monkeys. This was the squadron I was to join after it converted to Hornets, and they were winding down their operations before the changeover. The Grumpy Monkeys had formed during the Second World War flying P-40 Kitty Hawks and saw action in the Pacific Theatre, before deploying to Bofu, a former kamikaze base following the Japanese surrender. It was here that they adopted their image of a temple lion, or shishi, into their squadron badge, which was indeed rather ugly, hence their nickname. Post-war, they became the largest operational unit in the Australian Air Force, with 40 Mustangs plus a few Wiraways, C-47s and Osters. 77 Squadron fought again in the Korean War, converting to Meteor jet fighters during the conflict and then had more operations, this time with Sabres in support of Commonwealth forces in the Malayan Emergency. It was in 1969 that the Royal Australian Air Force purchased the Dassault Mirage III and 18 years later I got the chance to fly in the back of Daphne, 77 Squadron's two-stick Mirage. I felt very much at home in it, since the technology was much the same era as the Phantom. Indeed, it handled in a similar way, with a familiar buffet in hard turns. I enjoyed flying it very much, but a greater treat was coming my way. I was going to get my first Hornet experience. But before that, I needed a helmet. The Australians, in their inimitable manner, picked the best of what they saw on the market. In this way, they used British oxygen masks that I was familiar with, but attached to American helmets. Unlike the RAF torturers, who fitted our helmets, ratcheting the internal webbing so tight that it left ridges in your skull, the RAAF had a lightweight helmet shell that was filled with expanding foam. I became convinced that the fitting process was a practical joke as I hung onto a dummy helmet filled with hot foam for ten minutes to stop it rising up while it expanded onto the shape of my head. The result, though, was a very comfortable fit, particularly when combined with the soft cloth inner skull cap that helps soak up the sweat. When I first stepped into a Hornet cockpit, it was, of course, in the cool interior of the simulator room. 
The hours I had spent trying to learn the checklists were well and good, but nothing could prepare me for the excitement of actually resting my hands on the controls and watching the displays light up in front of me. The F-18's design was nearly a decade old when it arrived in Australia, but compared with the Phantom, it was like climbing into a spaceship. Two TV screens, digital display indicators, either side, a lower horizontal indicator and a wide head-up display dominated the front panel, in the centre of which was a multifunction up-front controller, a simple keyboard that took the place of the many radios, IFF boxes, nav beacons, ILS tuners and data entry pads that littered the cockpits of older aircraft. It gave the impression of a tidy office desk, with everything neatly laid out and ready to hand. After my first hour flying in the simulator, I was sold. This was going to be fun. Then came Friday the 13th of February 1987, an unlucky day, the origin of which stretches back to Norse times when twelve gods of Valhalla got together for a feast. The tricky god Loki had not been invited but gatecrashed as the thirteenth guest and arranged for the murder of the son of Odin during the meal. In the Christian religion, the Last Supper took part with thirteen present, including Judas, whose betrayal led to the crucifixion of Jesus on a Friday. In reality, since more people take care on Friday the 13th, there is actually a lower number of accidents and misfortune on that than any other day. I was certainly taking care as I walked out for my first Hornet training trip with none other than the boss of Number 2 OCU, the Operational Training Unit, who seemed a little less than happy that some jumped-up POM was going to fly in one of his brand-new Hornets. I honestly don't remember much about that trip, but Jilly had to give me a good slapping that night to get the silly grin off my face. Trip number two was a solo check. Well, that came around quick. We cracked off and spent a very enjoyable time thrashing around the local low-flying area at 150 feet, but I was still somewhat entrenched in my old phantom landing technique, which included slamming into the runway so hard that my navigators usually wore gum shields. The wing commander, a slightly terse chap who called a spade a shovel, was far from impressed, so we repeated that trip so I could prove my ability to land in an appropriately delicate Air Force manner, and not like a Navy navvy. Job done, I got the chance to head off on my own, albeit in a two-seater with a neat cover over the back seat straps to keep them out of the way. With only the company of bitching Betty, the polite lady who reminded us of possible problems like imminent destruction, I parked the throttles into the top left corner, winding the two General Electric 404s in a full afterburner. With my backside on fire and 32,000 pounds of thrust, pushing about 37,000 pounds of aircraft, the acceleration was impressive and a quick hand was needed to get the gear up before the limit speed was reached. The Hornet was always keen to fly, and the flight control computers, the interface between my hands and the control surfaces, was seamless. 
Unlike a conventional aircraft, when I demanded a manoeuvre, I had no idea exactly what the flight controls would do to get me there. It could well be any combination of leading and trailing edge flaps, the ailerons, both rudders, and the big stabilators that could move individually or together. All I knew was that it worked in a way I'd never experienced before. After trying to pull the wings off for a while, I came back to demonstrate that I could land with finesse. Trip 4 was a close formation ride and my first in a single-seater, so that meant being glued to the wing of the lead aircraft for most of the flight, giving me little time to enjoy the freedom of throwing the aircraft around the bright blue Australian skies. By now I was getting a bit of a feel for the aeroplane. It was a delight to fly. The controls were precise and smooth, and the engine response immediate, although I already realised that, like every aircraft, its performance wasn't limitless. It couldn't take off and then stand on its tail, accelerating into the sky like most people believed. That trick required you to hold it down, then accelerate the length of the runway to get some energy first, and even then a hard pull-up cost much of that speed and resulted in an early pushover, lest you run out completely. The Hornet was famously manoeuvrable, and it had wonderful nose authority that allowed you to point it anywhere in the sky, but pulling the wing into high angles of attack created enormous drag and loss of airspeed. It was quite possible to flat-plate the aircraft, that is, to pitch the nose up to 90 degrees with the momentum still carrying the body forwards, but recovering back to fighting speed took time, and in the meantime you were a grape, hanging around waiting to be plucked. Eight days after starting, I had completed a night trip and an instrument rating. The cockpit at night was truly wonderful, the display illumination clear and subtle and the lighting very well laid out. The navigation display was a little bit old school since it used a collimating lens to project a map image onto the back of the horizontal indicated display, over which was laid the electronic imagery of beacons, waypoints, routes and other symbols. However, Forget the mental gymnastics required to imagine a heading and distance to, say, a pair of intersecting radials. You just dialed up the beacons and projected the two lines onto the map in front of you. Instrument flying was a little different, since the head-up display was the primary display of attitude, heading, altitude, speed, rate of climb and descent, etc. The head-down instruments were for emergency use only. A couple of more rides, including tactical formation and advanced general handling, and I came to a grinding halt. The Royal Australian Air Force had taught me all that they were willing to do for now, and until the US Navy came through with my authorization to proceed, I was grounded. I spent a couple of weeks sitting around watching my course mates on number 1 of 87 F-18 conversion course, coming back from basic fighter manoeuvre missions, sweaty but grinning from ear to ear, whilst I fell further behind, but there was nothing I could do. I was in limbo. Jilly and I took some time out to explore the local area, which was truly fantastic. 
The base's main runway nearly ended up in the sand dunes of a huge 18-mile beach of golden sand that stretched from Newcastle to the south up to Nelson Bay, a fabulous water sport area to the north. It was there that we would learn to scuba dive, playing with moray eels, Port Jackson sharks, octopuses and weedy sea dragons, and head out with our friends on their motorboats to go sea fishing. We were on the edge of the Hunter Valley wine-growing area, but we soon found one of our favourite spots, Chichester Dam. Leak Chichester lay in the Barrington Tops National Park, and when the weather was stinky hot, we would fill an esky with cold drinks and steaks and head into the countryside. Before long, the road would start to drop into the valley, through which the river from the dam turned and twisted. The temperature would start to fall, and we could wind the windows down, smelling the cool, sweet air. It was then that the magic started. Slowly at first, just one or two, but then more could be heard, until we seemed to be driving down into a Carillion performance of exquisite beauty. These were the famous bellbirds, and exclusive inhabitants of southeastern Australia. Part of the minor bird family of honey-eaters, they live in large complex social groups, and their delightful chiming would accompany every visit. Equally fascinating to us were the kookaburras, whose manic laughter never failed to amuse us, but soon we learned that they were quite happy to scavenge hot steaks right off the barbie. Our impromptu leave was, happily for me, brought to an abrupt end with an inquiry as to why the devil I wasn't at work. I had apparently been made persona grata and could resume flying. What's more, I had two weeks of work to catch up on. Intercepts were familiar ground for me, except now I was handling the radar as well as flying the aircraft, but the Hornet had the APG-73, a Hughes multimode radar system that could be operated without taking your hands off the flight controls. Initially, we worked against Learjet targets and flew a mix of day and night sorties. A bit more fun were the combat missions, which were, again, something I was familiar with except for one thing. In the Phantom, the turning circle was big, and keeping sight of your opponent often difficult. In the Hornet, it was, as was frequently quoted to us, like a knife fight in a telephone box an analogy that might defeat a modern generation who are probably imagining the box that their latest iPhone came in. The F-18's turning radius was so small that, rather than imagining a position in space where I wanted to put my aircraft that was a mile or two away, I had to shrink that scenario by several orders of magnitude, as two miles became 2,000 feet. Rarely did the opponent seem to be more than an arm's distance away. It was startling and unexpected and more like mud wrestling than the nightly sport of jousting that I was used to. Sweaty, high-G manoeuvres flown so close we continually came near to bursting the thousand-foot bubble, the minimum distance we were supposed to come to each other. It was fantastic, exciting and fantastic. 
For two months we flew combat, progressing from intercepts and basic fighter manoeuvres to multiple aircraft combat and dissimilar air combat, until we had the basics stowed away and moved on to air-to-air gunnery. The Hornet had exactly the same gun as my old Phantom, the M61 Vulcan Cannon. But unlike the F4, it was mounted internally, not carried in a pod, slung under the belly. The six 20mm barrels passed over the top of the radar electronics, with the muzzles firing through a port on top of the nose, just short of the radar, and either side were vents to exhaust the gun smoke. Unlike the remote noise of the Phantom's gun that I was used to, in the Hornet it was upfront and personal. The muzzle flashes clearly visible a few feet away, the sound allowed brat noise which vibrated the cockpit and the smoke poured out either side of the canopy. Now the Australians didn't do their air-to-air firing like we did. Not the actual gunnery, since shooting at a banner was common enough in most countries, but instead of having a flag all to myself, I had to share it with three others. What's more, the target flew in an orbit, with all of us buzzing around it like seagulls round a rubbish tip. At any one time, one of us was pulling off the target, one was lining up to fire, one was in the dive, and the last was on the perch, waiting to start their run keeping all three other Hornets and the Learjet which towed the banner in sight so that nobody ran into somebody else was more complicated than I was used to, but in reality, more like a dogfight than our canned one-on-one setups. We only got a couple of goes, but I was happy enough with a 9% and a 27% shoot. The air-to-air phase was done. We were now going to throw our little pink bodies at the ground, something I hadn't done since my RAF basic training, and I hadn't been particularly good at it then, but for that, I guess, we'll have to wait for Volume 80. Love the music. (laughs) Uh, thank you yes thanks again to uh (laughs) youtube uh audio library they they're a great uh source but i couldn't find anything particularly australian i wanted to use waltzing matilda or something but sadly not didn't have that no didn't have those birds i mean was that the actual recording of those birds uh making that bell sound oh certainly yes yeah wow you could find that online the bell birds Uh, absolutely gorgeous absolutely gorgeous and you know just never ending and although it just drifted into the background eventually it really was when you first descended in amongst them and you could hear their calls you, you know the first time it happened i was spellbound i just had no idea and I, I had to go home and dig out one of our bird books we'd bought so that we could identify everything that flew around the garden and uh, read about them again another great plain tale look forward to hearing um volume 18 to learn more and let's uh do a little bit of feedback before you leave uh leave leave nick yeah. 
Captain. Incoming message. This is from Rich, and he says, Nick, as usual, another great Plain Tales this week. Now, he sent this. He was talking about APG 524. Oh, that's uh, a while back. Yeah. Uh, the history of the Northrop flying wing is a great one, especially the part when Jack Northrop gets to see the culmination of his efforts in the oh, B-2. Yeah. Very touching, that moment, I think. Yeah, very yeah. You mentioned in your story about the second YB-49 having crashed as it was flown by a Air Force test pilot. In your preparation to the story, did you happen to find out who that pilot was? Uh, answer no. Okay. It was Captain Glenn Edwards, who Edwards Air Force Base, California, is named. And now you know the rest of the story. That's uh, a reference oh, wow. to Paul Harvey. The rest of the story. His story might uh, make a good Plain Tales topic someday. Um, Rich is a docent at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum, and some of us get together once a week on a Zoom call. And this week, one of the docents told the story of Captain Edwards as his crash occurred on June 5th, 1948. When I heard your story, I knew that unnamed test pilot was indeed Glenn Edwards. Oh, well, I never. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. Yeah, By the way, course. I'm not familiar with the term docent. Can you oh, help it's me out there? it's like a it's a volunteer. Uh, my my oldest daughter uh, worked uh, well. She volunteered at the Atlanta Zoo, and so, so it was not a paid position. Uh, but there were I don't know if this is the exact definition, but there are people that volunteer to work in places like the zoo or museum or whatever who are very knowledgeable and uh, you know convey their their knowledge or impart their knowledge to people taking tours and that kind of thing. And uh, I guess that, you know, so they're, they're just unpaid uh, people that, uh, that try to express as much information and impart as much knowledge, answer questions, that kind of thing. So. Okay. Well, that's great. And main man, Micah has already corrected me. Uh -oh. uh, he knows more about my play tales than I do. Apparently I did mention that, but uh Probably just in passing. Oh, well, I don't recall that. <coughs> anyway, um, so uh, Rich McKinney ends with you, uh, saying, uh, Captain Nick, you have a real talent for telling stories. We agree. That's what my mother always used to tell me when I lied to her. <laughs> I was saying, yeah, I've heard some stories too. Yeah. Uh, thank you but, for all the effort it takes to research, produce, and record the stories and for sharing them with us. And that kind of kind of circles back to what you said uh, during the uh, Getting to Know Us segment. Yeah, it does take a lot of time uh, to research, produce, and record these stories that uh, Nick puts out such high-level production levels and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, But, hey, you have many, many fans out there, Captain Nick, and they w we want you to continue, uh, but throttle back. That's That's fine, as long as you keep doing them. Uh, absolutely. Well, I shall, because I, I get a real kick out of doing them as well. Uh, in particular, the current one I'm, I'm researching, which uh, I have found some very amusing um, bits, uh, which I hope you'll enjoy when you hear it uh, in a fortnight's time. Very good. All right. Excellent. So, 
I think. And thanks very much to Rich for writing uh, such a nice uh, piece of feedback. Thank Our you. audience is just amazing and awesome. Absolutely. So, yes. Thank you for sending that feedback in. Hey, uh, Aaron Micah has just been, sorry, uh, Jeff, I'm interrupting yeah. you. No. Uh, he, he likes particularly this. Uh, oh, he said, ha <laughs> Yes, I mentioned it in the story about Poncho's Happy Bottom Riding Club. Ah. Uh, you know, do you remember that? Um, yeah. Poncho's, sorry, not Poncho's. Yeah, uh, the story of the lady who ran the bar that features so much in the movie The Right Stuff, where all the fight the test pilots used to go and drink, uh, and they had pictures of all the guys who'd augured in and bought the farm, etc. Uh, so apparently, I did mention it. APG three hundred and ten. That was on that oh, show. Oh right, okay, quite That's a while cool. ago. Jeez, I'd just like to know uh, why. The bottom, their bottoms are so happy. <laughs> but that's for yes. another show. Yeah, I completely think you're different right. type yes. of show. But All right, very true. Well, Nick, I think now it is time for you to get some sleep. Good luck with the balls. so that you can uh, continue uh, with your competitive edge uh, with the uh, with the bowls. So, well, thanks very much, uh, and um, and thanks for your good wishes. Uh, I need my beauty sleep, and I want a steady hand tomorrow. So I'll be taking a few extra beta blockers. It's really nice when you're on heart medicine. So <laughs> I'll have a nice steady swing tomorrow. Oh, okay. didn't you know people take beta blockers uh, for some sports? Oh, no, uh, I didn't know. To, oh, like snooker players uh, mm -hmm. um, take them and things. Uh, uh -huh. But for me, it's, it's purely medicinal, I promise you. Mm -hmm. um, although it might have some nice side effects. Anyway, that's very good. <laughs> and thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the show. Uh, and give my best to uh, lovely Steph when she pitches up, and I'll uh, catch you uh, next week. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. What? What is that? Sounds like uh, somebody has joined us from her lakeside studio in South... She's a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, crank training junkie, IPA connoisseur, a commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper. We, you know who this is. This is Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. So good to see you. Sorry I couldn't uh, join when everyone was here, but um, it's going to be a nice uh, addition to the show today, I think, hopefully. Let's <laughs> wow. do some news and some... I know, I, I just want to talk highly of myself. Um <laughs> How much I contribute and add to the show. <laughs> I can tell Liz is dying. Okay, that's not Liz, exactly what I was going to say, Liz, but that's just how it. Go ahead and happened, put her down so. for another pay raise. <laughs> yeah, she's getting a bonus. A bonus. Yeah. I was going to try to say something to the effect of we're going to have a couple more nice additions to the show with some more feedback and news. Um, I didn't mean to say that I was. I the love what amazing addition. I love what, and it's so true. <laughs> okay. No, really, really nice to, to see you. I'm glad you're here. Um, for those who are listening to this, you already know. I don't know why I'm explaining it to you, but I'm going to. Uh, we start, start it's kind of like a tag team thing today on today's show. And uh, we had uh, Captain Nick on with us and uh, special guest uh, Kevin earlier from Pilot Edge. And then we took a little intermission and uh, now we're back and uh, Dr. Steph is with us. So we're so happy to have you. And uh, we're going to go ahead and cover a couple of more uh, news items and as much feedback as we can. And we're also going to get caught up with you as well. So let's dive right in to uh, item C. 
in the news notebook. Uh, final report, uh, Air New Zealand DH-8C and Air New Zealand DH-8C. Oh, it's the same thing. <laughs> two. They could have just said two Air I know. New Zealand. thinking, why did they do that? Okay. Well, one was registration. Were they same? They're the same exact airplane in Dash 8 300s. Uh, Zulu Kilo November Echo Foxtrot, flight 285 from Gisborne to Wellington, uh, was on a, on final, no, was on, on approach to Wellington's runway 34. The aircraft had initially followed instrument procedures and subsequently was cleared for a visual approach to runway 34 and told to follow another Air New Zealand Dash 8 300 about two minutes ahead of them. Uh, that was following, and that airplane was following a Jetstar A320. The crew, however, misidentified the A320 as their preceding aircraft. I have and, questions. Yeah. Are these pilots also journalists? Because <laughs> an A320 doesn't look very much like a Dash A300. Well, who this depends is, on how far away from it they were, I suppose. But uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, well, are you you're like jumping the shark here? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'll so you the know shark. what happened here, right? I have no idea. Oh, you don't. Okay. I have Well, read so this. the person that the thing that uh, Simon threw in here that was following another Jetstar A320. Well, I think there was only one Jetstar A320 out there. Yes. So I think that's the Austrian English translation thing. Austrian, going on. Australian, New Zealand. That Austrian. I'm sorry, Austrian. It's so confusing to me. Austria, Australia. It's the same thing, right? They're no, yeah, I think you neighboring did countries. Austin, you were talking Texas. about Simon. Oh, okay. Austin? Okay. Yeah, Texas. No, Thanks, yeah, Texas. Exactly. <laughs> but you were, you were referring to Simon. Yeah, I was. Yeah, okay. I got it. Okay. And uh, so anyway, so here's the deal. Have you shown the um, no, graphic? No, I will, though, Jeff. Please do. <laughs> might help are. me. Okay. So in this picture here, we see Wellington up in the upper portion of the middle upper middle you see well where it says wellington airport and has an arrow see it. yeah mm -hmm. um then uh there was a air uh dash eight over here link 285 on the right hand side you see that track coming down they're heading to the uh, southwest and the previous air new zealand dash eight link 235 they're kind of on a Sort of like on a downwind too, like um, yeah, it's a downwind-ish, yeah, yeah. And the A three twenty, the is Jetstar or whatever, is over there over the water. Uh, yeah, two ninety flight two ninety, and they're heading toward the airport, heading north. Okay, so basically, Final. air traffic control says, you know, clear the visual. Your traffic is the the uh, the dash eight, um, and so they look over, and instead of seeing the Dash 8, they see the 320 that's actually moving almost the opposite direction toward the airport, thinking that that's the, their traffic. Uh, whereas the, the air traffic control said, you know, the, your traffic is turning base, a right base. In this picture, the snapshot, they're just starting their turn. Uh, so that's the setup, okay? They've misidentified the uh, traffic that they're, they are to follow. Um, Let's see. Let me go back here in the narrative. I have to scroll way up. Okay. Because I had to scroll way down to see the picture. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, sorry. Um, 
The flight crew of Link 285 mistakenly visually identified an A320 on its final approach, and they took it as the Dash 8 on the base leg. And so I think that's why I asked you, Steph, if you had read this, because I'm thinking, how do you, uh, I know there are certain things that you didn't like, you know, angles and sun and that kind of thing. But still, you know, the Dash 8 and the A320 are pretty different. The crew that misidentified the aircraft was flying the same aircraft that they were supposed to be following. Mm Mm-hmm. So presumably they know what the aircraft looks like. You'd think, yeah. Um, wouldn't they say you're fl- you're following Company Dash Eight, and wouldn't they see that this other one was in a different livery? Like, yeah, I, Liz was making the point. You know, they said follow. You know, you're following a company uh, Dash Eight, and so that means you it's going to be the same livery that same livery. you're flying mm-hmm. and the other airplane is a different airline in a different livery. So even the colors are going to be different. They were uh, drunk. Um, Liz, you're not helping at all. She said they were drunk. <laughs> no. To be no, clear, that is not no, that in, is, any part of this article. No. And actually, I've already, I've as you we were describing the uh, diagram here, I did read through most of the okay. potatoes part of it. So good. Uh, well, maybe yeah. you can maybe you can help us out and explain to us what happened. Um, well, okay, I read through like yeah, the stuff okay. that was not happening. So basically, what happened so, is they they're looking at the wrong airplane and they're following the wrong airplane and they decide, okay, now I can we have space on that guy, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and start turning the base. Well, problem is the airplane that they're supposed to be following is still out ahead of them somewhere. Yeah, hasn't turned their base yet. Right. So for folks who don't know what that terminology means, so think of your pattern to the airport as kind of a, a rectangle here. Um, so you have Jetstar heading straight for the airport. You have the other two heading away from the airport. And the other two aircraft are going to, you know, kind of complete the bottom end of that rectangle by making a right turn and then another right turn. And they're supposed to just follow each other. So if the third aircraft in a row or in the, the line turns that turn too soon, now they're inside of the one that they're supposed to be following. And they're out of sequence, out of order. I think Neil's got yep. a good point here. Ah, Aha, this does make a that. lot of sense, Neil. Neil says, to be fair, it's over New Zealand, so they were upside down. Fair enough. Yeah. I can I could, see the confusion then. I yeah, it. and it'd be very difficult to fly a visual inverted. approach inverted, you know, really, honestly. <laughs> um, take special skills. Anyway, uh, so they obviously had a, um, a TCAS warning, um, and uh, I think the tower controller or the approach controller tried to fixed the whole situation when they realized that uh, the aircraft uh, was misidentified. But by then, I think they were already getting TCAS alerts and resolution advisories to, uh, you know, fix the situation, which, you know, that's what it's supposed to do. Um, anyway, what else to say about that? Yeah. So what I, what I was starting to read through in this article is that they're um, – uh, whoever the uh, investigatory Jeff board interrupted me. was here – no, the so the Transport Accident Investigation Commission, hereby known as here henceforth known as the Commission, um, they they were wondering how this crew misidentified their company aircraft, which is the same type of aircraft that they were flying, um, and and made this error. So they said, well, it's not because they weren't familiar with what the airplane looked like. Obviously, they they had that knowledge. They're like, well, maybe it was workload where they. Was there a lot going on? Was there something that changed? Was it a you know? Was the weather bad? No, weather was fine. No unusual um, emergencies, system failures, other uh, workload things that had happened or distractions going on. 
Um, they determined they weren't fatigued. Uh, the airport, uh, the flight crew was familiar with the airport, um, and they were both expecting the standard instrument um, arrival. Um, they hadn't, uh, I guess, they hadn't briefed the visual approach, but they had both flown visual approaches to Wellington um, along this pathway, along this route before. Um, Sounds like the captain and first officer were working well as a team and they didn't have concerns about each other. It wasn't like they were, you know, arguing like there's our, you know, I got the aircraft over there. No, that's the wrong one. Yes, that's the right one. No, there was nothing like that going on. Um, so that's where I got to. I got down here to the situational awareness part. And then there's kind of a lot of information going through the whole sequence of um what you need to do to positively identify the aircraft that you've been instructed to follow and how the controller needs to monitor those actions. Um, and then the TCAS resolution advisory that they they received. Um, so, you know, why was it that they misidentified this aircraft? And I, I'm going to read a little bit of what it says here. So, the um, at the time that they were instructed to follow the aircraft ahead of them, their company, Dash 8, that Jetstar 290A320 was about the same distance away. So they're almost like triangular, right? So the aircraft they're supposed to fly is ahead of them. The one that they actually identified is to the right of them and ahead, about the same amount of distance. Um, because of the time of day, uh, it sounds like the sun would have been um, highlighting the upper surfaces of the Airbus and make it stand out against the darker sea. So it made its relative movements a bit more obvious because it's moving towards them at a bit of an angle, whereas the other aircraft is moving away from them. Um, at six nautical miles, which is about the distance they were away from the other aircraft, um, they do note it would be difficult to make out the delivery, the, the color scheme. Um, you can distinguish movement a lot better than you can distinguish fine details like that. And I, I agree with that. Um, so, so basically it came down to just uh, a function of how our visual systems work. You know, we, it's really difficult. Um, doesn't seem like it should be difficult to identify a very different type of aircraft. Um, and, uh, perhaps one that's painted in different color scheme, but at six nautical miles, um, that's a bit much for, for even the most highly trained eye, I would say. Mm -hmm. You really have to look at it for a moment, think about it, say, is that where that aircraft that we're following is supposed to be? Is it moving the direction it's supposed to be moving? Maybe take an extra moment to positively identify it and say, yes, that looks correct. Or mm, I'm not sure. Can you maybe tell us the relative position of the aircraft we're following again? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if it's supposed to be 12 o'clock and this one's at, you know, two or three o'clock, it's probably not correct. Yeah, but as you mentioned, the angle of incidence there was similar to those, you know, the distance and the angle of incidence uh, was not, you know, not, not significant. And um, I could see in both cases, one going almost directly away from you and one almost coming directly at you and uh, the relative movement from, you know, side to side is not great. So, but I think they did note in here, uh, Steph, that, um, that they didn't really focus on their TCAS display very much. Um, they were mostly well, so, and I'm, so I'm not as familiar with what the um, TCAS display would show <clears throat> because I haven't seen what those look like on airliners. So mm -hmm. if you could talk about that a little bit, and then I'll tell you what I actually do because I spend a lot of time trying to identify the aircraft around me when I'm flying um, to know because uh, a lot of times traffic gets called and it's it's hard to know because there's so much traffic if you're actually looking for identifying the correct aircraft. Right, it, so. you'll either get a uh, 
these are little diamonds, uh, diamond shape um, icons that show up uh, with the relative uh, vertical offset. So if an airplane is straight ahead of you and the TCAS uh, system doesn't think of it as a threat, for an inst- for instance, the uh, other Dash 8 ahead of them um, traveling in the same direction, uh, distance was what six miles or did they say something like that uh, they, was, yeah at the time they were all about six miles away from each other so this would be a diamond that would be a uh, uh, an outline and it might let's say it was a couple hundred feet below them then it would say like minus two so you'd know the relative uh, height compared to your relative altitude compared to yours and uh, because it's not a threat the TCAS system hasn't hasn't identified it as a threat um, you know you'd, you'd have that uh, unfilled diamond in the or blue or cyan. Uh, it's solid diamond. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly what the parameters are, but uh, when it's 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 in more it's closer proximity, uh, both vertically and uh, horizontally. Uh, but if it's if the TCAS system determines that something is more threatening, it's coming at you, or the or more. Uh, more accurately, it, it doesn't really look too much at your uh, your relative direction toward the mm-hmm. traffic. Uh, it, it's using mostly vertical information and then uh, trends, uh, descent rates, and that right. kind of thing. That stuff. Um, and when it when it gets in within that time frame, and I don't remember the exact um, um, parameters here, but it'll turn to yellow. And so that's and that's when it turns yellow, then it's going to say traffic. Um, mm-hmm. So that's when you really that's when it really gets your attention when you when it starts saying traffic traffic. So that's that's not too different than our Garmin systems that we have. They work similarly, different icons, but mm-hmm. when you're within a certain <clears throat> radius or distance, um, changes either to a filled in little diamond or mm-hmm. on certain displays it comes up as Probably a yellow yeah. dot and it says traffic if you have that system installed as well. And then when you're getting in a situation where it decides, oh, these two airplanes are going to hit if they keep doing what they're doing here, and then that's when everything turns red. And then you mm-hmm. get the uh, resolution advisory, the RA, yeah. and it starts telling you, you know. It tells uh, you what to do, what basically. Because yeah. it's giving that information to each aircraft. It's telling right. one to. But, you know, when uh, you're in a situation like this, your SA, good SA, you're using your eyeballs, you're looking outside, you're, you're identifying airplanes, and then you're looking back on your nav display and your t- or your t- wherever your TCAS information is. And you're looking at these diamonds and seeing, you know, identifying, okay, I see that with my eyeballs. Oh, hey, Does there's that two airplanes out there. Translate? Which one? Yeah. So I don't know what they thought of the – if they were looking at the TCAS display, the preceding Dash 8 would have been one of those TCAS icons in front of them along with the other one heading toward the airport opposite direction. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm thinking, well, what were they thinking about that one, <laughs> the one that we're actually yeah. supposed to be following? Yeah, so my only – you know, <clears throat> it's interesting how much um, – modern ADS-B technology has added to the situational awareness picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the um, um, things that we have that are already installed in the aircraft, so in our case, the Garmin systems, in your case, the the TCAS system, um, they give good information, but it's not a ton of information. You know, it's there to be um, referenced, basically. But what I've started doing actually is I have a little cell phone holder mount for my my phone, and I can have my Stratus or it hooked up to my Stratus and up to ForeFlight. Um, so not only do I have the actual display on on the Garmin, which is the one 
in the aircraft certified and approved, all that good stuff. Um, but then I can actually look and see very quickly, you know, what the aircraft's call sign is. So I know if it's, you know, what company it is, what the flight number is. A lot of times it has the um, um, aircraft type and that's made it super easy because as you're listening to um, just radio transmissions and air traffic control, you know who they're talking to. You can almost predict when they're going to call traffic for you because you can see them on your display. And it's it's just made life really easy and safer. What's really sad about this whole thing is that all three airplanes came together and then I don't know how many people lost their life. No, it, oh, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they figured it out. There were no injuries. <laughs> and they figured it They worked it all out. Yes. <laughs> it was a happy ending. <laughs> they yeah. lived happy. Everyone landed safely yeah. and lived to tell the tale. Yes. Yes. But, you know, so what? I guess the the takeaway from this stuff. Yeah, what's the mm-hmm. moral of the story? Uh, the takeaway is, and, and you know, uh, we've talked about this a little bit before, is that you really need to make sure that um, you're taking a moment to identify traffic around you, especially when it's called to you. Uh, there's a reason that that's being done, or if you're, in this instance, following another aircraft, um, you have to have good situational awareness so that you know what you're supposed to be doing when you're supposed to be doing it. Really a shame that we don't have Captain Nick here because we know how much he loves um, visual, visual approaches. approaches. Um, because, of course, <laughs> so we're just I, a you bunch know, of I, I, I see cowboys. But this was in New Zealand. I know. Well, they're cowboys down there, too. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> they're the upside-down cowboys. Although I have a feeling that, you know, the use of visual approaches uh, with part, well, airline type um, operations is probably not at the same level as what we have here in the U.S. of A., you know, mm. in cowboy land. Um, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I could be wrong about that. I'm just making a, a, a supposition that's probably inaccurate. But we're going to move on before I get myself in any more trouble. And we're going to talk about this next item, and uh, that's item F. This is an interesting one, and I'm glad you're here to watch this and analyze this with me, Steph. And uh, it's another video, so we're going to go ahead and play this. Now, little setup. It's a – it looks like – a security camera or maybe just an airport camera uh, setup showing uh, a certain portion of the uh, final approach or the runway setup. Uh, a helicopter comes into view and, uh, and then moves off and hovers off to the side. And then uh, a little time later, um, a light aircraft comes in and uh, yeah, it doesn't work out very well for that particular light aircraft. Let's watch it. There's a helicopter. They are loud. Right, the helicopter yeah, is they're in. loud, unnatural flying things. Yeah. And kind of moving off, displaced from to the right of the runway. And it just kind of stays over there and is hovering. Okay. And here comes a little light airplane in. Oh! Bam! And wow. Uh... Kind of does a little somersault. Caution. Thank you, Liz. Caution wake turbulence. Let's watch uh-huh. that again. Helicopter. Looks like a Huey. Or that type. Bell Ranger. What are those things called? Anyway. I'm not sure. 
that uh, is coming in. It's a big helicopter. Well, I mean, not super big, but but not like a little Robinson. No. And then here's here's the light high wing airplane. Boom, and does like a little light cartwheel. Now, good news is that the person, the pilot flying the light airplane, I don't think even received serious injuries. I mean, they hmm. they walked away from it and didn't die. I don't know how they managed that. Um, but um, basically, uh, the, the point of this, showing it, is that helicopters, they throw out a heck of a lot of Wake. wake turbulence. Yeah, and I think yeah. that I, I thought I had some information here about. Um, let's see, somebody uh, actually it was a comment. Uh, yeah, so there's a there's a really good comment in here, and um, go ahead and I'll let you read that if you want. Why don't you do it? Little, okay, um, this is a comment from one of the folks. Um, I guess just on the YouTube, on YouTube, I think uh, yeah. channel. Yeah. Um, so. He mentions helicopter wake turbulence can last as long as two minutes, um, you know, and, and you can see in the video the where the Cessna 120 was as it crossed that portion of the runway was basically where the helicopter had crossed as it sidestepped over to um, to move further downfield and whatever they're doing, hovers, whatever. Um, this uh, commenter, Gordon, also mentions that in this case, a 9,000 to 10,000 UH-1 creates the equivalent of 90,000 to 100,000 pound uh, aircraft in terms of wake. So more than most regional jets and an FAA flight test report from 1996 recommended a minimum of three nautical mile separation and 105 seconds before crossing the wake of a helicopter. Um, also main, recommended maintaining a minimum of three rotor disc separation when the helicopter is in a hover. So for that particular helicopter, 144 feet. Um, it's quite a bit of wake. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, um, uh, Hillel is saying that Max yep. Trescott uh, covered this uh, in in detail. Um, as you said, you know, the for a UH one three rotor disc separation is about 140 feet. The distance between the center line of the runway and the center line of the taxiway is 100 feet. Uh, if you're taxiing, taking off, or landing. While that UH-1 is in hover taxiing or taking off on the adjacent runway or taxiway, you're likely to encounter 50-plus knots of downwash. Um, see a helicopter flying? Think heavy aircraft wake turbulence. See a hel helicopter hovering? Think microburst wherever it goes. Fixed-wing pilots beware. Uh, helicopter pilots let the stiff-wingers go first and spread the word. And... The uh, you'll recall in that video, I, it may it may have been maybe fifteen seconds at the most, fifteen twenty. Oh, it wasn't. It was hardly any time. Yeah, and he just basically flew right into this wall of death, <laughs> this turbulence that, of course, you can't yeah, see. Thankfully, he's he did not die. It sounds like, but yeah, yeah I, I you know I, that's one that um, I think. Uh, probably, if you're interested in it, head over to Max Trescott's Aviation News Talk. Yes. And it probably goes into quite good detail on um, a lot of the specifics related to these types of wake turbulence encounters. Yes, an excellent show, uh, an excellent podcast, Max Trescott, Aviation Talk. Um, is that right? News Talk. Aviation, Aviation News, Talk? News Talk. There we go. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. But it's very impressive video. 
so check it out. All right. Let's uh, hit this button. You know, the button that no pilot would ever push. <laughs> um, getting to know us. Second time we got to hear this. Piano playing. It's the time of the show where we get to know what we have been doing in between shows. Assuming that you care. We know you do. We care about you all. We want to know what you're doing as well. Uh, but unless you tell us, we won't know. Uh, Steph, would you please tell us what you have been up what to? What I've been up to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after our last show, I was um, I was in Chicagoland this past weekend. Never oh. actually in gotcha. Chicago itself. Okay. Uh, Close. But, you know, the surrounding suburbs and environs. Um Used to be more common um, pre-pandemic. I'd go out there and um, once or twice a year um, teach an injection course for one of the uh, large spine societies. Um, teach people how to do what I do for um, for my day job. Um, it's always kind of fun, interesting, something a little different. They're short courses. They're mostly designed to be introductory and let people get a feel of how they're performed if they haven't really been doing them before, or to you know brush up on some specifics if they have um, you know questions. Um, so yeah, first time I've done that in about two years or year and a half at least. So that was a lot of fun to get out there and see some colleagues and friends. And, um, the location where it's held is very close to the town that I uh, grew up in. Um, and a lot of my close friends from like all the way back to elementary school still live in the area. We keep in touch and I got to spend the evening with, with one of them at least. So see her family and, um, yeah, spend a little bit of time hanging out, enjoying each other's company, went for a nice run together early in the morning on Sunday and turned around and came home. There's beautiful weather in Chicago, except for Saturday morning, it rained a bit, but that passed pretty quickly. So cool temps and nice nice weekend. Excellent. Did you get some good uh, Chicago food? There's always good Chicago food. So my personal favorite um, being Portillo's Italian beef mm-hmm. sandwiches and picture. hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Made me very hungry. Yeah, they were they were good. So mm-hmm. I had the Italian beef sandwich on Saturday, and then I went back Sunday on my way back to the airport and got a hot dog. No, I do both both times I go. <laughs> you know, I I thought about it, but I just I really didn't need both. Yeah. By the time you have it. fries and a soda yeah. and everything, it's yeah, it's quite true. a bit of food. Yeah. Um, but I think that's that's about it um, for me. Okay. Um, if there's a lot of extra dog noise, my apologies. I'm dog sitting right now too, so there's like five uh, dogs in my house. Wow. Yes. They're okay. all being relatively well behaved yeah. at the moment. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's all part of the ambiance. That's right. All right. Very good. How about you? How have you been? Well Did um, you already did you already talk to uh, no. Nick about what you did? Oh, okay. Cool. About what? About your week, your weekend. No. No. Okay. I, I kept it a secret. Um let's see. Last show I was in Charlotte with you. And uh Got home really early in the next morning and uh, went back to the Roswell house, took a nap. And then I thought, I'm going to take a look, see what's going on with uh, trip coverage and saw a couple things in there that looked like I could do that night. A quick overnight to uh, uh, Kilo Oscar Alpha Juliet. Oh, yeah. And I looked at that Um, and I went... Albert O A J. What is the name of the actual airport? Well, I've been there a bunch. Well, it's Jacksonville, North Carolina. Jacksonville, North Carolina, but there's um. I don't know what the name eh, of it is. I it's do. Like, it's like it's Ellis or something like that. 
Yeah. It's going like, to bother me if I don't look it up. Yeah, Someone yeah, will okay. probably tell me before I can even get to it. Anyway. I've been there. I've been there a bunch. <laughs> Albert J. Ellis. I knew it was Albert something. Okay. Ellis. Albert A. They fl- Yeah. Whatever. Fly the 717 to Jacksonville? Yeah. That's what I said. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, so um, I uh, thought, okay, I looked at that and I said, okay, I see where it is near Camp Lejeune, a little bit north of Wilmington, North Carolina. Took a quick look at the weather and I thought, yeah, it shouldn't be bad. And uh, or if it does have some thunderstorm activity, I, we can probably get around it. And it turned out to be the case. Yeah, so it was just a fly over that night, and then uh, a short night. Um, uh, basically, the like I was a flight attendant doing a lean over. You know, a very not a full eight hour uh, rest period, um, like seven hours, I think. And then, but. You know, I wouldn't be legal to fly it back in the morning, so I, I deadheaded. Uh, what they do with the crews there, uh, because it gets in, because mainline operates the last flight and the first flight, so the last flight gets in kind of late, not super late, but late enough that you don't get that legal break. So you, the people, the pilots can't fly. I guess they could if we did lean overs like the flight attendants and made it a single duty period, but we don't do that. Thank goodness. Um, so typically, the trip is made so that. The pilots fly it in, and they're there the, all day the next day, and then they fly the next day early in the morning. So they have like a 30-hour layover. But in this case, I guess they needed uh, extra pilots. I don't know what happened to the originals. Uh, but as you know, in the airline industry, especially – well, all over the world, actually – the staffing issues and all that uh, are causing all kinds of havoc out there. And uh, so a lot of broken-up trips and canceled flights and that kind of thing. So. They needed somebody to uh, fly that. Turns out the first officer, I think he was on a four-day trip, and he said, you're my fourth captain on this trip. And I said, oh, well, maybe I'm your last. And I said, are you coming back with me tomorrow morning? And he goes, no, I I have a 30-hour labor, and then I do something. He's got more flying ahead of him. Very junior uh, first officer. It's the four-day bunch that he's flying with. Oh, yeah, that reminds me. I have to fill out a – a, th- a thing, a report on him because um, mm. it's, he was, uh, he was uh, still on new. probation. Yeah, new. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, I guess you're going to have a fifth captain. Sorry. Um, but anyway, so I deadheaded back to Atlanta the next morning. And uh, so it wasn't what that. What happened on that deadhead, Jeff? What happened on that deadhead, Liz asks. What happened on that deadhead? Oh, you so. You made a recording. Yeah, I did make a recording. Thank you. Um, thank goodness for Liz. Yeah, help help me uh do all these things. Um, so in the morning, the crew that was actually flying the jet back to Atlanta, who had been there for 30 hours, um, we're standing there and we were talking and then we were going out to load up the van. And um, this guy uh, says to me, are you, well, I think maybe I talk about this on my audio recording. So here, let me just play that. And then, uh, so I won't be redundant. Hey, I uh, picked up a quick Overnight uh, in Jacksonville, North Carolina, a new pin in my map. Never been there before. And uh, this morning, uh, dead heading back to Atlanta really early. Um, I uh, was talking with one of the crew members, the first officer uh, on this flight, taking us back from Jacksonville to Atlanta. And uh, I just thought it'd be cool to uh, get a little quick recording here because uh, this guy said, Hey, are you the APG guy? <laughs> I went, uh, As a matter of fact, I am. And so uh, here's Keith. He uh, just wants to say hello. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks again, Jeff. Yeah, I wrote in about um, four years ago with some feedback and uh, 
Captain Jeff here responded. Um, I don't know. I wish I knew which episode that was. I can't remember. But uh, anyway, uh, I was just a corporate pilot at the time, and that's been the majority of my career until seven months ago when I was finally hired by my first 121, and that's where I'm at. Acme. Acme. Sorry. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. He, he uh, made sure to use the proper uh, airline name so I don't have to worry about editing this. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, I'm, he said, "Yeah, you gave us uh, gave me some advice," and I, I'm thinking, "Well, I hope that advice was good." And he said, "Yes, it was good advice." So glad that we were able to to help out, and so nice to have you part of Acme Airlines, and look forward to uh, spending more time with you in a local meetup or something like that. So anyway, say goodbye to everybody. Hey, bye everybody. Say so back to you in the studio. Back Jeff. to you in the studio, Jeff. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So uh, that was that was a. Uh, Nice. You know, Sal, uh, Steph knows this. Um, we get a lot of people sending us feedback and requesting advice. And, you know, what should I do? Should I make this jump? Should I do this? I really enjoy this, but I'm thinking maybe it would be better if I went and jumped over to the airlines or whatever. And, you know, we have to be careful because, you know, it's not for everyone. And he was flying a no- nice uh, corporate job and, you know, you, you hate to recommend something or give bad advice to people. So it's always a it's always a pleasing thing for me and staff and all of us that when we give advice to people that they're happy with it and it yes, works that out. It, that it works out well. Yeah. There isn't a lawsuit coming. No lawsuits. So, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And we, if we give you advice and it sucks and it doesn't go well, yeah. Then um, I don't know. Listen to another podcast, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, the uh, I think we I think Hillel actually recorded a uh, a legal disclaimer, pr- which probably has no standing or teeth in it at all. No, and we decided just not to. We'll just kind of you know wing it and hope people know that this is uh, mostly for entertainment purposes. Uh, we do have experience in this um in in this aviation world and different aspects of it and we can only use our own anecdotal uh, experience to give advice to other people and yeah anyway it's yeah, very at the end of pleasing. the day you have to make you can take in all the information given to you and then you got to make your own decisions so yeah and if we give you some bad advice and, and you make a bad decision based on it well sorry shouldn't have listened to us <laughs> <laughs> That's our disclaimer right there. That's our disclaimer. Yeah, well, uh, well, maybe you shouldn't listen to us. <laughs> At least our advice. Yeah. Listen to the show. Absolutely. Don't take our advice. Or so, do- cover art. We have this resident uh, genius creative that does our cover art, and I did the cover art for the last show, and I'm thinking... <laughs> This is the best cover art I think I've ever seen. For it. no, I'm just kidding. It's not even close. We actually used somebody's picture that they sent in. Uh, this is from Microsoft uh, Flight Sim. Please don't sue us, Microsoft. Um, and uh, it's basically an F-18 with an EasyJet livery, and uh, the person that sent this in, Adam Catling, Caitling, Catling. Uh, said, uh, you know, this is you know, if there were a Top Gun. UK, maybe they'd look like this. And uh, so, yeah, so I used his image from um, Microsoft Flight Sim, and I found this Top Gun, and then I just added the UK there. So, hey, it was easy peasy and um, not anywhere near the same 
even approaching the same standards that Nick has when it comes to cover art. But hey, it did the trick. And there were no Easter eggs or I didn't hide the – I just didn't have time to do that stuff. I couldn't find the, the show number. Yeah, you should look for it. It's, it's, it's in there yeah. somewhere. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's like a magic eye. Like, where's yeah. Waldo? <laughs> You have I to wear Captain special. Ridiculous Wits has a good comment. Here. Oh, Captain Ridiculous Wits has a comment here. Take my advice. Don't listen to anything we say. That is good <laughs> advice. Yes. Yeah. All right. Advice, uh, let's fund? move to the. No, we don't have any. Well, okay. Yeah, we let's do the oh, coffee I fund. We're going to talk about it. Yeah, we should. You're right. Okay. Gives me a chance to sing. I love coffee, I love tea, I love the APG community, coffee and tea, and the Java ME. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Liz, you crack me up. Liz is a great singer. Um, coffee fun, your way to support the show financially. If you hate the show and want us to go away, don't send us any money, please. Uh, but if you like the show and you want to support it, keep it going. Uh, join the Coffee Fun Cadre. Uh, you can go to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee to learn how you can do that. A couple different ways. One is the classic method via PayPal, like a one-time donation uh, every once in a while kind of thing. Or you can actually do recurring donations, contributions as well. Uh, although I prefer that you take a look at Patreon to do that sort of thing. That's uh, uh, folks who kind of pledge a certain amount per episode. They can say, you know, stipulate a maximum per month. So we don't go crazy and do, you know, 50 shows a month. That'd be crazy. Um, and then, you know, make people go bankrupt. So there are the ways to protect yourself uh, with that. Anyway, the Perks and benefits is that uh, you get your own private uh, link, uh, private URL for the crew logs that we do very, very often <laughs> and regularly. No, we don't. Uh, we need to do more. And I'm going to, mm -hmm. I promise you. Oh, Steph, you said you were going to do. Uh, I said I was going to and I did not. Yeah, I know. I forgot. <laughs> no, that's what happens a lot with me. Um, but I do, I mentioned that, um, you know, between, um, in our little intermission that I'm going to try to do some uh, video crew logs of my adventure when it comes to leaving Atlanta, heading up toward Wisconsin. And I have no idea where I'm going to go in between, but I'm going to try to make it an adventure and uh, I'll take uh, the uh, patrons with me and you can watch what's but happening. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. I want to keep it to 45 minutes. We better wrap it up now. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I want to do a little bit more maybe. Yeah, like maybe one or two feedback, yeah. and then we'll call yeah. it. I know I said 45 By the time minutes, he edits all of this up, it'll be It'll be five minutes. Five hours. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's then. see. Feedback. Dun, 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 dun. Captain. Incoming feedback. Incoming message. Or incoming uh, message. That's what it was. Or something yeah. like that. I don't I think by now we'd know. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> you know what we should do? Incoming message. Just to message. make sure. Incoming message. Okay. Here we go. Um, now. Captain, incoming message. Like we said.
Exactly. Or as we said more properly. Uh, let's. We've had this one in here for a while. Sorry, Texas and Lashock. You probably thought we were ignoring you, um, but we weren't. Um, there's a video link that he sent to us. Um, it says a video is about a half an hour long. So are you ready for a half an hour? No, we're not going to play the whole thing. You should watch it though. It's very. Did you get a chance to watch it, Steph? I actually have not watched this. Okay, sorry. You should. It's it's okay. horrifying. <laughs> oh jeez. Um, he said, I think you can share the 60 second intro section. It gives a fair idea what the full video has. Uh, he says, greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. I came across a video that I thought I just had to share and get your thoughts on. It comes from YouTube channel, Josh Cahill, who focuses on reviewing airline experiences with the occasional diversion into things like a visit to the national air and space museum in Washington, DC. In particular, he seems to go out of his way to experience airlines that are lesser known and outside the usual aviation centers. He'll do reviews of the big-name carriers, but he also goes and does airlines from other parts of the world, which can lead to some interesting experiences. A few of these, he says, are downright dangerous to fly on for various reasons, such as the case in this video about Nigerian airline Air Peace which he describes in the title as a horror flight running into everything from delays to the aircraft not being where it needed to be and due to fuel not being where it needed to be and belligerent passengers and staff. Now, unruly passengers have become all too common in recent years, but I can't think of any other instance where a riot nearly broke out in the gate area or passengers attempted to rush the plane. You've never been in an American Airlines gate in Charlotte, North Carolina, have you? Um, just kidding. <laughs> all the um, time. All the time. Yeah, especially when stuff's there. Uh, yep. She's an agitator, let me tell you. Okay. You know, uh, back stir the pot a little. To, yeah, you do. Uh, Texas and Lashok continues, I looked up the airline myself, and on its Wikipedia page, you find allegations that the founder and owner has engaged in money laundering, and the airline itself has failed to report incidents erased black black box data and shielded their aircraft from inspection none of that instills confidence nope now this is not to say that nigerian aviation itself is an issue another video he has a a very complimentary one on another nigerian carrier asmin air comparing the experiences with the two airlines is like night and day watching this i just had the thought that much as we might complain about the inconveniences air travel imposes on us, we still have it pretty good in our parts of the world. Anyway, clear skies and riot-free airports to you all. And may the fuel be with you. Ah, uh, very cute. <laughs> this is Texas and Lashock signing off. And so he mentions this video. And we're going to share a little bit of it, just the first 60 seconds or so. As you mentioned, that's enough of a little bit of a teaser, and uh, you should really watch it. It's very entertaining. Right now, we've not been able to secure fuel. And this fighting going on, one person passed out. It's an absolute nightmare. Insane, crazy fights, people trying to storm the airplane. It's insane. Everything is out of control here.
Oh, so he goes through London and like, oh, Germany. Well, you white guys all look the same. <laughs> wow. I literally just got an email from an airpiece pilot telling me that the airline is not safe to fly. Okay, there you go. There's a little little teaser. Um, it is, um, you know, pretty frightening. I'm going to watch his channel before I fly various airlines around the world. Because let me tell you, just fly Acme. Just get a little. Yeah, I, you know, stick to Acme. Acme Can't American. Not sending any of his passengers emails. Yeah, I, I, I will not send that email to you that says, "Don't, don't fly on this airline. It's not safe." No, you it's will not get that one for me. Yeah. because it won't be true all right thank you texas analyst shock we'll have that link to the video in the show notes anything in particular liz one more to go before we wrap uh, it up well let's let's finish with number 13 the, that cartoon. oh lucky thir- wait a minute i think i did i delete number 13 yeah i did oh, okay. because oh, oh I, I i'm sorry i meant to mention that to you uh i think Thanks. that was more of a private thing than a share okay. in the show kind of thing um, well, then I don't care what you do now. So oh, well, okay. Be that way. I'm sorry. I hurt her feelings. Um, Keith from Little Rock, number 12. This is a great way to end the show. It's a congratulatory. It's a happy ending kind of a thing. And it's in the uh, slides as well. Yeah, I got them. All right. Uh, greetings, APG crew. Keith from Little Rock. I'm a little late getting this feedback to you all, but I would like to let everyone know I passed my sport. I'm trying to be up here trying to get the sound clip here. I passed my sport pilot check ride. Throw some noisemaker in there. Okay. He said, uh, thank you all so much for your encouragement and your fabulous podcast. Did you, uh, let me read that again. Thank you all so much for your encouragement and your fabulous podcast. Since passing the pet check ride, I've enjoyed taking my son and my wife on some great adventures, exploring the state and living a dream I've wanted to do since I was a kid. I've attached a few photos. Captain Jeff, I saw in a recent episode you were in Northwest Arkansas. Next time you get to Little Rock, send me an email, and I would love to take you to dinner or lunch. Uh, Blue skies and tailwinds. Keith. Yeah, in fact, that same trip (laughs) was actually in Little Rock. So, Keith, definitely let's get together. And uh, some pictures here. Let me see what uh, Liz is showing you all now. Oh, they're already done. She, okay. she was showing them yeah, okay. as you were talking. So there's Keith and uh, showing the, the, the proof that he has his, uh, his certificate. And uh, there's his son. And it uh, looks like they're having a great time. Looks like a neat airplane, too. Yeah, that's one of those Technum P208s, I think. Ah, okay. Very cool. Anyway, so always great to hear our community out there uh, make, you know, setting milestones and, and such. And so uh, that's, that's awesome. So. <sighs> yeah. I think it's inspiring for, you know, those who are still working on things too. So if you've passed a check ride or hit a milestone in your aviation career, let us know about it. It's inspiring for even old dudes like me who have been flying for more than 40 years um, to, to see that sort of thing. So there you go. Uh, we're going to end the show there, 
And uh, we have a lot of great feedback that um, is that we didn't get to today in our current show. And we have a bunch of stuff in staging and everything else. So we have a you know a lot of a lot of great stuff we want to share with you. But don't. But don't. Send, you can still send stuff in. Don't deter them now. Oh no no yeah don't let don't let that deter you from sending stuff in. Oh Jeff said you have plenty of stuff so I'm not going to send it in. Yeah. No 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 no. Disregard what I just said. Keep sending them in. Keep sending it in. Liz will take a look at it. Probably throw most of it away. But there's a chance. Uh-huh. Very slim chance that yours <laughs> might make it on the show. If, if something's going to discourage you, it's Liz's highly uh, uh, selective uh, criteria for the mm. stuff that makes it on the show. Very highly, highly selective. So have have some good feedback. No. Yeah. Um, anyway, so you could do that uh, by sending it to. By the way, we're wrapping this thing up uh, to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. That's our email address to send feedback. And we'd love to hear your voices and audio feedback. So if you want to use your little app on your phone, whatever, to uh, make a... Video feedback? Or even video feedback. Yeah, we haven't had video feedback in a long time. Uh, So all that stuff we do. And uh, you can send it, attach it to the... uh, Email that you send to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. And uh, that's all right. If you don't want to do either of those things, just send it email and we'll we'll try to, you know, read it uh, as best we can. Uh, we're also on social media and Steph is our social media expert and she's going to tell you all about this. I was going to say, I think Truman's going to tell you all about it because he's been barking at the deer downstairs and now uh-huh. he just quit. He knew it Perfect. was time for me to talk. Nice. You can head over to Facebook. It's facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. We're also on Twitter. That's uh, it. Oh, geez. I can't even say what what our (laughs) handle is there. At APG crew is the correct Twitter handle. And you can find our individual Twitter handles pinned to the top. Our twiddles. I like that. What's your Twitter handle? Can you tell that I've done nothing but talk all day long, like (laughs) for all day since about eight Uh o'clock this morning, nonstop talking. Yeah. It doesn't make me better at it. It makes me. I don't know. Just, yeah. Okay. Uh, also, Instagram. If you, if you had the words to describe it. If I had the words to describe it, I could tell you, but clearly I'm just proving my point right now. Yeah. Also, I, f- I felt like that like since I've been home. Just no more words. No more words. Did you sound um, like you this when you were doing the uh, instruction up there in Chicago no, area? Okay, uh, good. No, much more words. Much good. more words. But if you don't like words, you can yeah. check out Instagram because it's mostly pictures. I guess. True. Um, and we're APG crew there as well. Yeah. And if you would like to write lots of words about uh, social media things and other interactions with uh, community members, I would suggest Slack. Yeah. Well, Hillel's here, I think. And Oh, yeah. Hey, he's in the shower again. Hey, Hillel. Hillel, can you tell us about Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. All right. Come on over you know the routine. Get the now. Put the towel around you, please. Okay. Now you can come over here, and you can tell us all about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. 
to get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you. Thanks, Hillel. Hillel is such a, a gem. Uh, running, managing, creating our APG Slack team, and uh, and he's a, a, a personal friend of mine. And um, ah, I, oh yeah, Delta P. <laughs> okay, uh, we're still recording the show. Okay, sorry about that. You know, when you gotta go, gotta go. Yeah. I guess, but I, I, I guess you didn't realize I still had the microphone on. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry you had to listen to that. Anyway, we are also wanting to thank our uh, a, a young lady who does so much work in behind the scenes between the shows and who readily accepts bribes uh, to get your uh, to get your feedback on the show. Liz Piper. Great. Thank you, guys. Great comment from my hall boxes. He says I've got sixteen thousand feedback emails lined up for the show. <laughs> send them, send them. I dare you. Send them in. Yeah, it's send kind of a in. kind of a Enjoy. private joke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. My pleasure. <laughs> All right, thank you, Liz, and um, yeah, uh, always a pleasure. Thank, especially a big thank you to all those in the live audience who have stuck it out with us since. I don't know how many hours ago. <laughs> it have been around for a uh, long time. That was like five, five hours ago. Five yeah, hours, five yeah. hours. I mean, wow. Anyway, thank you. Marathon. Yeah, thank you very much for... Now we know uh, how you feel. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take me that long to run a marathon. No, oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so all uh, always great to uh, see the regulars in our chat room. Hey, if you happen to be you know following us on Twitter, Facebook, all the meads, uh, if you want to, uh, if you see something and you know when we're going to be recording the show live, you should check it out every once now and then. It's a lot of fun. And uh, we hope that you have a great uh, rest of your week and a weekend. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again. Uh, you'll be listening happy to us again. Happy Independence Day. Everybody oh, in the that's right. We have a big... Probably uh, a happy show Canada Day. After happy that, Canada yeah. Day. Yeah, that's what, in a couple days? Uh, Friday. 30, Friday. Friday. And yep. uh, 4th of July on Monday, I think? It's Monday. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Correct. And uh, so a couple big celebrations for uh, North Americans. So if you happen to be uh, in, living in either of those places, uh, have a, a happy, blessed, and wonderful, safe safe time. Yeah, yes. especially with the fireworks. Fireworks. Safe. And uh, yeah, we hope to see you again next week on uh, the next episode. And until then, wishing you clear skies unlimited visibility and tailwinds stay classy apg community cheers y'all bye everybody good day
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline 